Folks, tonight I am joined by, depending on what you type into Google, the former director of the CIA or the uh, the composer for The Last Drive-In. But I've got with me the man himself, John Brennan. John, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I say this a few times because people do mention the CIA thing. That's John Brennan of the Central Intelligence Agency, John O. Brennan. I'm John P. Brennan, as in Patrick, and uh, I'm the Cookie Institute of America. Which is, that's that's the CIA I want to work for, obviously. (laughs) You want to eat some cookies with the Keebler elves, or you want to fuck up people and tell them they didn't see an alien? I mean, which one? Which one would you rather? I don't know. I'll tell you what, man. I I, I recently had a a life change occur. I mean, if you want a reason to be sad, I actually cannot eat regular cookies anymore. They poison my body. Oh, my uh, God. I found that I have celiac disease. So... Um, which they explained a lot of things that were going on with me, but I can't, I can't eat cake. I mean, there are gluten-free options out there, but let me tell you something, man. They're not as good as the original. They're not. Oh Lord. Is that also the one where you can't eat sesame seeds? Uh, it depends. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's frustrating like chocolate. Let's, we'll, we'll use chocolate. Everybody loves yeah. chocolate. There, there are those outliers who don't, and I don't understand them, but um, not to ostracize my audience that doesn't like chocolate, but I don't understand you. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but you know, you look at milk chocolate and, and like at its, you know, raw chocolate before it's been messed with is gluten-free naturally. Right. But by the time it makes it to the store, they've processed it so much and they've done so much to it that it's, it's, it's got gluten in it, you know? So right. I actually have to even search for like gluten-free chocolate, you know? So it's, if I want to eat a regular Oreo brother, I pay for it for about a week. I'll tell you it's, Damn. um, it's bad. It's it's rough, but it explains what was going on with me for two or three years. And it, but it's it's sad. But the cool thing is, right when I find out about this, and I have to go gluten free, Oreo released the gluten free Oreos. Ah, um, and I call them Glorios because they're glorious because they mm. actually taste like real Oreos. There's there's a bit of a texture difference, but for the most part, they they taste just like Oreos. And I've let people try them. Like, oh yeah, it's like the real thing. And man, it's it's um, that made it a little bit better. You know, okay. because before that you had uh, these things called um, uh, shit. You're freezing up over here. Damn it! <laughs> shit! It's frozen. Uh, uh, I hope it's not on my end. My internet looks pretty good. I'm the host now. What the fuck? <laughs> it's still recording. So I've been here the whole time by myself. Uh, apparently there was a power outage. I'm just looking at it this now. Uh, it's reconnecting, it says. Uh, so here, I, I guess I'm the host of the show alone. Uh, we've learned a little bit about uh, Brian here, about his... Uh, is unfortunate, uh, unable to eat chocolate. 
uh, you know, that, that's very sad. I, I, you know, as long as I'm still able to eat pizza personally, I wouldn't mind giving up all kinds of sweets and cakes and things like that. Uh, you know, pizza is the number one burritos, the number two shared, uh, with a number two with cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers and pizza and burritos. Those are the Holy Trinity. And then after that, I mean, you know, I love vegetables. I love, uh, meats and tunas and, uh, all that sort of stuff. Cold cuts is a, a great, uh, I love salads. I mean, people, you wouldn't look at me and think that I love a salad, but I fucking love a salad. It's, it's delish. Uh, as long as they're done right. Not too many carrots, you know, uh, carrots are good though. You know, alone, I like dipping carrots in uh, say a hummus or a ranch or something like that. They're great. Uh, you know, it, it's, 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 I, I, I personally, as far as desserts go, I would rather, not have a dessert and just eat a double portion of whatever meal I'm having. So if it means the the difference between three or four slices of pizza versus two slices of pizza and a slice of cake, fuck the cake. Give me the four or three slices of pizza. That's where it's at. Or, you know, a burrito and a half or something like that. That's really where I'm at as far as uh, eating habits. I, I obviously I'm, I'm disgusting, but it doesn't matter because sometimes you just don't want a dessert. I mean, I, I mean, of all the desserts that there are out there, uh, the greatest to me is just a it's it's a cookie. So I'm sorry, Brian, that you can't have cookies, but like a chocolate chip cookie with a glass of milk. Oh, forget it. My mouth is already watering. I mean. Chocolate chip cookies and a glass of milk. That's where it's at. And people who disparage milk just because you're an adult, you'd think that you can't drink milk. That's fucking stupid. Milk is for everybody and it's delicious. And I don't care if it comes from a cow. It's good. It's thick. It's nice. It makes the milk and the cereal and all that taste better. You know, you get the cookies, you get the milk, you get the cereal. It's delicious. Uh, I've even tried oat milk. Oat milk's fine. Almond milk's fine. I'm into it. I'm I don't disparage milk like some of you pieces of shit out there. Uh, there's this. Uh... I, I'll... So, folks, this is podcasting. We uh, we we'd already started, and uh, <laughs> we, and we I, I lost power, and, and poor John kept talking. But here we are back again with Mister. No, John but Brennan. I kept talking because I saw that you uh, disconnected, and I saw that you had a power outage. So I said, Hey, let me kill the time. Cause I saw it was also still recording. So I gave you my thoughts about uh, food and desserts and all that stuff. So maybe put it at the end of the podcast and we'll have a bonus, some bonus material about how uh, disgusting I am. That, yeah. I, <laughs> and thankfully I was recording the cloud, man. So it's probably I'll, actually that footage is probably still there. So that'll work. I'll have there you go. Time, I'll just append it to the end. So folks stay tuned at the end. There's a, a, a really good intro, but <laughs> Man, we'll just we'll just jump right in it. So um, yeah. you have you have literally done just about everything there is in the film. I mean, you've been to film school, you've been an actor, producer, director, writer, composer, production manager. Like, is there a job in the industry you have not done? Uh, uh I don't know. I, I don't, you know what? Okay, yes, I don't really do like the grip and electric stuff. Like, I've I've handled some of the stands and things like that but as far as tying in or plugging in or any of that stuff electricity i'm i don't really like that kind of thing it's it's kind of scary and i also don't know anything about it so i guess uh, grip and electric or not grip but more electric 
is is uh, I'm anti-electric and not just because uh, I don't want to do it. I just never had the chance or nobody taught me. So I never, uh, you know, I was, I, w- I always went for people who knew it. So that mm-hmm. was, that's, that's the way. So that's really the part that I'm uh, uh, unaware of, but as far as everything else, I mean, I've been in art departments. I've been uh, the craft services guy. I've cleaned the toilets. I've, I've driven people around. I've done pre- pretty much almost everything else uh, on a set. Are you are you a big cook? Do you like to cook? You know, I I do cook some stuff very well uh, over the years. I mean, my mother always made a great Sunday sauce, so I know how to do that really well, like a big, nice, humongous pile of spaghetti and meatballs and sausage for, you know, you could feed 15, 20 people. I could do that. I could also do like a good chicken parm. I do pretty good... Uh, uh, like, you know, uh, waffles and breakfast and uh, omelets and things like that. So basic stuff. But as far as like gourmet, like I don't have a chicken franchise I could whip you up in a second. Although I could probably. Uh, so I started a, a cooking show with Yuki Nakamura, uh, who is on the last drive in. And uh, we're starting a Patreon together because, you know, why not? I mean, everybody else has a goddamn Patreon. Why can't we get a couple of bucks out of doing stupid stuff on the Internet? So um, I, one of the shows that we're doing is called Are Yuki Hungry Tonight, where I cook for Yuki and he rates my cooking. And uh, we're starting out with an Elvis book of, of his favorite recipes. So uh, the first thing I cooked him was the fried peanut butter and banana sandwich. And then the second thing I cooked was his favorite meatloaf and gravy. So stay tuned for those videos. And they're very (laughs) surreal and funny. And we got Yuki's opinions on all sorts of stuff Uh, that that'll be launching around Halloween. But uh, as far as cooking, I'd love to do it. I wish I had more time to do more of it. And as I get a little older, I feel like I'm going to get more intricate with the crazy shit. Like Duck LaRange is in the cards one day. You never know. Is... The, the so the, is the Patreon live? No, so Patreon is in the works right now. I mean, Yuki and I have gotten together multiple days and shot multiple things. Uh, we've also recorded a bunch of uh podcasts, recorded some side podcasts with uh, a friend of mine, Reeves Elliott. I'm going to do a podcast with my father and interview him about his life. So, there's all these sorts of little things that we're doing, um, building up because right now, what is it, August like 31st? Mm-hmm. So, I have a whole nother month before I even have to start thinking about releasing stuff and then so in october we'll release like a trailer and sort of uh maybe like some free content and then we'll start november with the the paid tiers and if it goes well up until new year's we'll continue doing it in 2023 if it's an epic failure we say hey we tried it so long we're not doing it no more Man, I, I'm excited. I remember when you announced that on Facebook, you were talking about making a pasta. I think it was a pasta dish, actually. You it was an Alfredo, I think. Oh, oh that I, I did that a long time ago. Uh, and he he wants it. We haven't shot that episode yet. It's uh it's a chicken parm with uh with you know the red marinara sauce on top of a fettuccine alfredo. And you wouldn't think that necessarily, I mean, like it would be your first go-to idea to do that, but it is unreal. It's so good. So I, I believe it, man. That sounds yeah. amazing. And by, and by the way, what you're describing are not, they're not basics. They're what matter. We got to change the definition. Okay. You know how all to cook right. for things that matter. Like, uh, all right. All right. I, mean, I just, <laughs> I know some people who could do cook like a, a 50 different things off the top of their head right now. Like I probably have a good dozen things I could probably cook right now. That's pretty good. Uh, but I want to get better. I want to like have that, you know, deep knowledge of cooking. I love cooking. I, I think it's great. 
So like when you go into the kitchen, I mean, do you cook on a daily basis? Are you a microwave guy or do you actually, you're, you're the type of person you come home from, you know, set or whatever and you whip up. So like, if you want to have dinner, like do you typically cook? Yeah. So I've gone through phases the last, uh, since last November. So almost a year I've cooked almost uh, the majority of nights. Like I haven't really ordered uh takeout and stuff. So I cooked myself uh, a lot of times, just the same thing over and over and over again for a while until I get bored of it. Um, same thing with my girlfriend, you know, she does her, you know, nice broccoli and chicken and all that stuff. So we've been sort of the past year, uh, cooking a lot. Um, but I still am a slave to takeout. I mean, I live in Astoria, Queens now, and Astoria, Queens has some of the best food in New York city in any of the boroughs. I mean, the Indian food here, the Greek food, amazing. The problem is the pizza is not that great. I mean, there's a couple of good oh, pizza really? places. Yeah, but they price you out. It's like three seventy five for a cheese slice. Who the fuck do you think you are? I don't care if your pizza tastes like the nectar of the gods. You are fucking me over. I mean, two fifty, two seventy five for a slice at most. Is it at least one of those giant slices? Those New York not slices? even. No, it's like just the best pizza in Astoria. It's like oh, went up a fucking double. It's garbage. I hate that shit. So I just on basic principle, I'll go get a DiGiorno just to put it in their face. You know, DiGiorno's better than that for the cheap shit that it is. That's not shit. No, I don't mean shit. You know what I mean. I, uh, no, no, I, I got you. Yeah, no, I, I love like, DiGiorno. I, you know how many nights I've eaten at DiGiorno? Probably more than I've eaten real pizza. <laughs> DiGiorno is amazing. You know it's what's so terrible? Good. We yeah. were talking about, you know, before before my power went out, we were talking about, you know, my celiac diagnosis and stuff. The the There's a gluten-free DiGiorno, and it makes most people celiac sick. There's, there's actually wheat in it. They're able, they, they do something with it where they can pass the certification process. But every time I've eaten it, I've gotten sick. Oh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. I uh, Part of what I was talking about uh, when the power went out was, you know, how, what a gavone I am and what the things that I like to eat that I would give up dessert uh, in order to eat double a meal, you know, like yeah, give me four slices of pizza instead of a pe- two pieces of pizza and a cake. But uh, it sounds like uh, you have to really rethink your uh, whole life because of this. And I'm, I'm really sorry. It's a bummer, man. It, it is a real bummer. But I mean, you know, it, it, it's at least I live in a time where there are, are, there are alternatives that exist. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's uh, and I gotta admit, you know, I wish the DiGiorno didn't make me sick cause it's really good. In fact, next time you're in the mood for DiGiorno, look for the gluten-free one. And sure. it, it actually is a little bit better than the non-gluten version or with is, the, the is, gluten version. There was a pizza. My girlfriend was getting for a while. It's like cauliflower based crust. Those are good too. Yeah. Those are really good. I, I love those. Those are just as good as any DiGiorno. It's delicious. They're just small, so you have to eat five or six of them. At least I have to eat five or you, six. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, man. You can easily. I mean, like if I get one of those, I think they're the brand I like is called Cauli Power. Um, well, probably it, yeah. It's in a white box. And, oh, you can easily go through that whole pizza because, I mean, it's it's – Hell, yeah. It's It's not um, – it's it's not it's not enough for us, uh, in any man. Nah, you know? <laughs> look, I you know I'm I'm not counting calories all the time, but uh, you know when I do, I try to avoid pizza and stuff like that. But I, I don't know, just for this whole summer, I feel like it's time to just party and not party, but you know, like have some fun because you know I, I, the summer's gone. I don't need the beach bod, so let me eat some fucking food. And then in the winter is when I start to diet because I don't have to, you know, look like anything for anybody. So hopefully next summer I'll be able to uh, sit around at the Fourth of July barbecue with my parents with my shirt off, and they'll be like, "That's not bad." 
Our son did all right for himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got a lot to celebrate too, man. I, I was just, I actually was listening to an interview you did today with the uh, the Music Is Life podcast. And that was a great interview. Oh yeah, Lou, uh, he's great. That's that was a great time. I, that was a really good interview. I, I love doing it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I I really like. At one point, you kind of briefly gave sort of your philosophy on life. You know, you taught you, you mentioned several times about cutting out negative people. But you just yeah. don't have time for them. But it's just like, man, just enjoy life, you know. And like, but there was something about the way you expressed it that really resonated with me. It just was a very, it was very much a, just enjoy life, you know. Just, just sure. enjoy it. Just, just do it, you know. And and it's, and it's so cool all the stuff you've gotten to do. I, and and what I want to give you the opportunity to do right now is I, I kind of want to just hear a little bit about your your life story. Like let's let's okay. go all the way back to the beginning. Like you know. Oh. Where, where were you born? What were your, what were your parents like? You know, what, sure. what, what got you interested in, in music and film? And let's, 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 let's get the origin story of, of John Brennan. Great. Uh, well, so w- briefly to just touch upon your point about, I don't always practice what I preach as far as like cutting negative people out because sometimes they're useful to you. Right. So sometimes the negative people are ones that are, are, are forwarding your path. So I think, uh, Negative people are good to cut out when they don't benefit you, but when they are benefiting you, sometimes it's best to keep them go- keep them on board, and uh, you know you can mooch off them the way that they mooch off you. Oh my goodness! Look yeah. who it is! No introductions <laughs> needed. This is my good friend, Honey Gregory. <laughs> wow! So I was really afraid. I was what are afraid. You doing? Of the- I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm just running around doing my mom stuff tonight. <laughs> ah, I was scared when he said there was a surprise. I thought he was going to bring out somebody from my past that I would have to uh, shut off the Zoom and curse a lot. But you're, no, you're just, fine. Just your Graceland <laughs> ghost hunting friend. <laughs> yes. I mean, look, we could uh, we could get that we could get that interview out of the way right now if you want. Uh, oh so I don't know That's if you terrible. know anything about this uh, the Elvis Prez tree conspiracy, Brian. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, let's let's hear it. I'm I'm all ears. So when we were in Memphis for Joe Bob's Jamboree, we went to Graceland, and uh, uh, of course, Honey was with us, uh, her daughter Hannah, and we had uh, eight or nine other people with us. And so I had seen this video online about how this guy caught uh, the specter of Elvis in the trees when he took a picture. And truthfully, it wasn't outside the realm of possibility. It really looked good. So we took a picture uh, with me, Reeves, and my girlfriend, Liz, and no joke, I'm not even exaggerating, there was an orb in the picture that should not have been there. And on top of that, the shadow of my head was square, and I had like the devil horns up. And if you look at the shadow, it looks like the head of Elvis. (laughs) (laughs) So weird. It was really weird. We had some fun with it. We have our theories, but I want to just sort of go back and interview everybody about that fateful day. I already got the guy, Chef Dez. uh, He was the first person who took the picture in July 2019. He gave us an interview and he's pretty honest about it. So how do you didn't tell me about this? Oh gosh, there were so many fun things going on. <laughs> I've heard all about the jamboree, but I never I didn't hear about the one ghost thing that was that was happening. Like <laughs> well, well, probably be, why? Why why wouldn't you speak about this? Are you I ashamed? Don't, I don't even remember. It's like there was so much fun <laughs> stuff going on. I just finally forgot. But the the um, you know, when we were at Graceland, you know, because I'm a huge Elvis fan. And the moment I walked in, I just had a vibe. I know that sounds oh, retarded, yeah. but like you just go in and you just, just knowing he was there and the feeling, I mean, 
I don't know. It was, it felt like, it felt like it was there. It was so weird. I agree. It's it's a magical place. That was the second yeah. time I ever went to Graceland. And um, this time it was almost like even more powerful because my girlfriend Liz knew so much. I, they give you a little iPad, right? And it's got John Stamos as your host or whatever. Oh, and really? It's fine. Yeah. It takes a long time to get to the point sometimes. So yeah. I, I said, I don't want this iPad this time. I bet you my girlfriend knows just as much. And she did. She was given yeah. the tour. She was given yeah. the real info, you know? She Liz knew was like amazing. Yes, she yeah. knew that the how they like ripped the uh the pool table with the cue and she knew all the stories. So yeah, awesome. Liz Liz had all the good stuff. She was yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird. There there are just some there are places you go sometimes there really is like an energy to them. Like you can just tell yeah. that something and I, I don't I don't know how to explain that. You know, I mean, like when you look in the ghost hunting you know they, they talk about things that have really powerful events happen there's just an energy that's created there you know strong emotions things like that um yeah so i mean i don't know I, I, a personality like elvis i guess it kind of makes sense you could absolutely feel something in that location it was so bizarre but the house was smaller than i thought it would be you know in my mind it was like wow this is just like a house that your best friend's parents could live in or something i don't know it was just really weird it's true it's a you little what, smaller. Yeah. What, what's what's your take on ghosts, man? What, what do, you, do you think they're actually like the spirits of dead people? Like, what's your I take think on everything ghosts? is possible. I, this oh, so yeah. okay. This 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 did not get too philosophical or deep, but there's this thing. Do you ever see the Cosmos with Carl Sagan? I've never watched it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm familiar with that. Either. That sounds it. good. Okay. Oh, it's great. It's it's from the seventies. Carl Sagan's one of the great thinkers of uh, that I've ever experienced as far as reading and watching his stuff. He did this series in uh, the seventies called Cosmos. Later on, updated by uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, I love him. Yes. Yeah. So it, yes, they update the science and stuff that wasn't available in the seventies or whatever. It's great. But in in the Cosmos, there's this one bit where Carl Sagan explains 2D land, right? What what it would be like if you were a 2D figure, two dimensions. And he uses a playing card. He says, here's the jack of spades or whatever. And he puts it on a flat sheet. And he says, now that's a person in 2D land. They don't know what it's like to experience 3D, okay? Where we live. So he takes a pencil and he stabs it through the sheet of paper. And he says, now what that 2D dimensional character would experience is not the entire pencil as it's going through his like realm. He would only experience a circle and a bit of that pencil as it passes through his uh, dimension. Oh, wow. But since we're three dimensions, we can experience the pencil. Now, imagine what it would be like if a fourth dimensional creature passed through our realm. Oh, you would okay. you would only see a snapshot of it. You wouldn't be able to see the whole thing. Yeah. So that's why I think. And, and later on, they say uh, I think uh, Carl, uh, the Stephen Hawking's said that there are up to eleven dimensions possible. Yeah, beyond. eleven is what I heard recently too. Yeah, these so eleven. We we only experienced the third dimension. There's I know, sh- right? There's so, so much happening around that, us. They were saying that that everything's around us. It's already existing in our space, but we just don't have the capacity to see or feel any of it. Right. And whenever there's like this weird anomaly happen, it's because somehow they have phased in or out or something somehow. And That's, I just 100%. All that stuff That's what I believe. Yeah. It's fascinating yeah. because, um, you know, there was, uh, also mm-hmm. another concept that, uh, really got me was in, uh, Kurt Vonnegut's book, Slaughterhouse five. And when he explains some of the alien creatures in that, 
He says that human beings experience them. They look like centipedes, right? But they don't look like centipedes to each other because the way we see them is we see their entire lifespan all at once. Oh, Now, how amazing is that concept? Because that's the way that the puny human minds can experience certain higher levels of either, uh, I don't know, intelligence, being, whatever it is. We can't see it all the time in the correct way. So that's kind of like I told Hannah one time. I was like, think about an ant. Their whole universe is that backyard. (laughs) That's sure. All they understand and can fathom in their brain. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's it. And we and know that there's so much more, which yeah, I, makes I, me I, wonder about another being who thinks, well, y'all don't know anything. <laughs> there's exactly. like way beyond that. It's beyond, beyond, beyond. There's, exactly. We can't even fathom what's going on in the neighboring galaxy, no. let alone the other billions of galaxies that are happening. And not only that, we can't even understand the dimensions. Yeah. So when you say ghost, it could be anything. It could literally be, yeah, sure. It might be the ghost of my grandmother coming back to say hi for a couple of minutes, or it might be a being that is impersonating my grandmother for nefarious reasons. It's all possible. Yeah. Well, I, I had a I just don't want to hijack the show here, but I had a really spooky situation that happened cool and spooky about three weeks ago in the middle of the night I don't know what time it was I'm gonna say probably three or four o'clock in the morning I thought my daughter walked into the room and I sometimes she gets scared you know she'll still come in looking for me and I and I heard something walking around and so I had my eyes closed and I was like honey what's wrong Hannah hello what are you doing you know and she wouldn't answer me so I opened my eyes I see a figure standing um at the end of my bed I was like sweetie what do you want like stop staring at me you know tell me what's going on you know so I was like what what so I'm opening my eyes I'm like what do you want what do you want and then suddenly whatever it was it got all fuzzy and it just disappeared Ah. and I was like okay so it gets even crazier so I'm like I'm a half out of it so I just went whatever I fall back to sleep so the next morning I get up and I go to my office and I'm working and my I'm about to leave to go run errands and I get a text message from a former client she's very spiritual and she says I need your help my daughter saw this this gray shadow person last night at about 10 o'clock in their living room area and then again in the middle of the night okay and then she woke up and she thought she she was something was under the bed and she started screaming and so she wanted me to come check the house out. So I got one of those thingies on my phone. You know, you yeah. download the app. Yeah. So I take some sage and I go over to her house with the app and we turn it on. And as soon as I get there, this thing starts talking to us. Oh, no. And it was so relevant. And I was like, do you know what this means? She's like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Right. And so we asked this thing, like, who are you? What do you want? And his name was, I think it was Nathaniel. And he said he wanted salvation and um, that that there was someone trying to chew and hurt and he wanted to protect. And so she's like, oh, my God, that's exactly what her daughter said, that this thing under the bed was scaring her and it had teeth and it wanted to hurt her and chew her. I mean, it was just like the whole thing was just like, holy cow. Right. So we're going through the house, you know, speaking positive Christian, you know, stuff over the house and 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 putting the sage in every room and everything. And and uh, so the next day she called me, she said that, you know, everything was fine. Her daughter felt better. Um, and but the whole thing was just like, OK. 
because I've been asking like, okay, I have to shut the door because if I don't, these shadow people and ash people will wake me up in the middle of the night. Oh, this has happened to me like three times in my life. And I just have to say, okay, guys, don't wake me up in the middle of the night. It's not cool. Like I have to sleep, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I shut it off. I've seen, I've had night terrors too. And I've seen crazy stuff as I was waking up to the point where I woke up when I I was living with my parents at the time. And uh, I woke up and I saw the face of Lloyd Kaufman uh, inside of an old woman's like shawl. And I said, fuck you, bitch. And I woke up the whole damn house. It was horrible. So (laughs) trust me, I've seen shit. (laughs) Lloyd Kaufman though, of all people, were you, were you with trauma at the time? I was, that was probably why I was having a stress (laughs) dream and, uh, I was working on, uh, I, th- I don't remember what movie it was, uh, but I was working on one of the trauma movies and uh, it was, it was bad. So I, I got the hell out of there. Thank God. Uh, yeah. But you say it was Nathaniel. Yeah. That's his name was Nathaniel. Nathaniel I mean, Hawthorne. The, huh? the the author of the Scarlet Letter, maybe. Who knows? Oh, I don't he know. Be, it was someone and it was like, we were there. I was there for like an hour and it was talking oh. to us. And finally I said, I have to go. You can't go with me. You need to stay. Uh, but his his agenda was to protect this girl, this little girl. She was he was saying that he you know he wanted salvation, he wanted to protect, and, he, and what was some of the other words? Um, chew and teeth and hurt. Oh, oh. And something about something about the alley. And I go, do you have an alley? She goes, well, kind of this driveway because it was like a big piece of farmland that they put put a road in, and then they developed it going backwards. So it's not a real road. So it's like. Each house is like A, B, and C or whatever. And um, she goes, so we call this the alley. And so I take in my phone and I said, is there somebody in the alley? So I walk over to the alley and I'll be darned if someone's not walking up that alley, a dude all by himself, curly, big, curly, curly, you know, uh, white guy walking this way. And when he sees, so I kind of look out and I go, there's somebody coming. And so she jumps out and walks down the patio and then. He starts walking towards her and asking me these weird questions. So I jumped out of the patio. Well, he oh. jumped back. He jumped oh. back about three feet and goes, never mind. I'm good. Everything's cool. I'll find it. It's no problem. Jesus. Then, I know. The thing said, Allie, hurt teeth, you know, all this weird stuff. And we we're just like, ah. so, oh, yeah. man, yeah. this it is some whacked out shit. You're getting exclusive on your show over here, Brian. <laughs> I know, I know. And my daughter wants to do ghost hunting. I said, you better be ready for this because it's real. Yeah. And it's going to freak you out. Yeah. Um, so. And you sort of invited it. The more that you uh, yeah. investigate it, the more that it seeps, seeps through. Well, it knows you're open to it. Yeah. You know, it knows you're open to it. So I had a psychic friend of mine tell me, says, okay, you've got to close your mind's eye when you don't want to work on people. Because I'll have people come in my office And I'll start getting tingles and a knowing will come to me and words will come to me. And sometimes a voice will talk to me and I'll start asking questions like, yeah, like, yeah, we just like, I know everything already. Oh my God. It's like freaky, like totally weird. That is freaky. I'm I'm afraid. Don't tell me anything. (laughs) I don't want to know anything. <laughs> you start hearing voices in the name of John Brennan. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> I, might start, I, have to, I might have to start concentrating on that. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's interesting how some people are more susceptible to those things and more sensitive to it than others. I mean, there are people that go their whole lives that never have an alien encounter, that never have a ghost encounter. They then you have other people who, you know, maybe have one or two, but then you have some people that happens to constantly, you know. 
which you have to be open-minded to it because like my brother said to me because i've seen i've seen ufos many times and my daughter too i've seen them with my daughter and we in fact we were at the drive-in of all things uh a month ago and i was sitting there looking at the stars so the movie was really boring so i was looking at the stars and i said okay you guys i know you're up there so just show yourself because we're sitting here bored and I look around for about five minutes, nothing happens. So I start getting engaged in the movie again. And all of a sudden my daughter pops up off the blanket and she goes, oh my God, what is that? I was like, what's what, what's what? You know, and I look and I'll be darned if this long cylinder gray tube looking thing, like a pipe with, with colored lights all in it, starts just slowly going across the sky. No wings, no sound nothing i think you told me about that I, yep. now, now, now i think about it, you mentioned that to me you sent me a message yep. about that yeah anybody, so my, brother, else my brother said to me one time he says how come i never see these i go do you want to he goes hell no i said that's why you don't see them <laughs> john have you ever seen a ufo or anything um not a, you know not a ufo one time i was driving through the desert i thought i saw something with my brother but we you know we couldn't verify it we were going too fast we we're like oh look at that it could have been a shooting star a meteor so ufos not really but spiritual ghosty ghostly stuff like that or synchronicities strange synchromysticisms yes all that stuff yes i think the scariest time for me ever was i had just got married to hannah's dad and um he and I were having a discussion, let's say, and we weren't agreeing. And I was thinking in my mind, like, there's just things not right here, you know? And he was walking to the door. We had had this deep discussion and he's walking to the door to open the door to go out into the hallway. And he stops and he pauses and he turns and he looks back at me, cuts his eyes at me, and he just stares at me. And right then, his whole face morphed into like this demon-looking thing. Oh. And it said, I'm back. And then it sucked back into his face, and he turned back like a robot, sort of. Like, no, like, it was like he wasn't in control. Just turned back and opened the door and went back out. And I was like, holy shit. He's <laughs> like, back streets, back all right, and this that's, broke that's, into a musical number. <laughs> that's that's weird, man. I mean, Backstreet scary. Boys are demonic, so are they? Backstreet as far Boys as are? I can tell, but no, oh. that that's really you know that's interesting. You see that because um, that's such a, a strange thing to have happen because it's mm -hmm. so uh, the way you describe it is that you saw it in reality. A lot of the things that I've experienced are more either feelings or uh, mm -hmm. it wasn't like I saw a demon but i could feel uh something around me or i could i could sort of think uh, ahead to these things happening that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but to see it like that i don't know if i would ever be able to be alone in the house ever again uh, well i thought it was pretty ballsy for it to show itself to me but um you know a lot of a lot of different people from different religions have had their opinion about it but uh it wanted me to know it was there and yeah. it was after me and there it was. And I was like, holy smokes. Yeah. That's, that's scary. I, I, I like I said, it's more, mine, mine are more, uh, like one time I was uh, a really little kid and uh, I was playing, uh, I think Super Mario Brothers 2 when I was on a board, I was going to beat it. And I was alone in the house. You know, I was maybe eight or nine being left alone for a half hour. My mother went to the store playing video games. And all of a sudden I got poked in the back. 
and I turned around and, and nothing. I mean, there was nothing there. I ran outside and I stayed out there until my mother got home. And uh, then, you know, that house sort of had little things like that happen to me all the time. And only after we moved out did my parents admit, yeah, that place was goddamn haunted. And we didn't want to tell you. <laughs> we oh told you it was Jason and Freddie that you were afraid <laughs> of, but you were really afraid of the real shit. So that yeah. was wild. Yeah. Well, Hannah and I were in, uh, I think it was the dollar store one day. And we were just standing in the aisle looking at shampoo. Because she was like, mommy, I want a different shampoo. And since she was like experimenting all the time, I wasn't going to go buy like $20 shampoo. So I was like, okay, let's go to the dollar store. Let's pick out some different shampoo for you to play around with. And we were standing there looking at the shampoo, probably, I don't know, four feet from the shelf. And all of a sudden, a shampoo bottle literally flies off the shelf and lands on the floor at our feet. And Hannah's like, what just happened? I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It just flew off the shelf at us. And that shampoo was Elvis's favorite shampoo of all time, <laughs> which leads us back to the Elvis press tree conspiracy theory. Elvis is trapped in the trees, ladies and gentlemen. That was fun. Right. We had some, that lady that you guys were talking to and you showed her the picture of and everything. <laughs> she was hilarious. She didn't believe it. And then she got a phone call as we're explaining it to her. It said scam likely. Oh. It usually says scam potential. It said scam likely. It like actually said that. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. So that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Everybody that's, that's, that's thought wild. you were crazy. Those people in line were looking at you like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John, you'll have to you'll have to send me that photo when we're done, man. I want to see it. Yeah, I'll send it to you. You could uh, share it around and uh, that other lady though, she goes, Yeah, I see it. And she was there with her boyfriend, the pretty blonde girl. Yeah, she believed it. She yeah. was a true believer because yeah. uh, I mean, look, it, it's undeniable. We didn't Photoshop it. There's something there, yeah. and we want to keep it clean because <laughs> it's it's just it was ob- honestly like we did start out as a joke saying, "Oh, there's something in the trees," blah blah blah. But then to actually take a picture and have it, it's not a light leak. It's like yeah. an orb. It's like a big weird orb. No, yeah. the orb the orb thing's real. In fact, like one time I, I was hanging out with um, a, a cousin of mine. And we went and explored this veteran cemetery in Nashville. And uh, I had her stand by one of the uh, the headstones. And I took a picture of her and, you know, there's nothing there. And I said, okay. And she's like, well, you stand and let me get it. I, I can't remember it was my idea or her idea, but I stood at the same headstone. And I knew when she took that picture, I said, there's going to be something in this picture with me. I could feel it. And, and man, you look at the, it was digital, digital camera. So we looked at the photo and there were orbs all over the place. And I kid you oh. not, one of them, you zoomed up on it. It had, it looked like it had a face in it. Oh, oh wow. Um, you know, so I oh. like I I've I've I don't talk about it a lot, but I sometimes feel things like you can feel presences. Like mm-hmm. when I was in college, I used to, I was a security guard and I did security for the gas company in Nashville. And up in the IT room, like if you walk in and it was pitch black and it was spooky anyway, but like in the back left corner, man, there was this one spot you could stand and you could just feel something there. You know, and I, I don't I don't know, and it was just junk there, but for whatever reason, just that one particular spot. There's just this weird kind of eerie feeling you get standing in that one spot is, you know, like, or, you know, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and you just kind of feel like something's there, you know, you just kind of like, you know, or anytime I watch something ghost related, like, man, I can feel the hairs go up on my neck. I could just feel, you could just kind of feel the the room change, you know, I went to um, Louisiana to uh, French lick area, you know, and we went to that famous grave cemetery that they have and we went to Marie Laveau's uh, grave and um, 
So I'm just standing there by it, you know, thinking, oh, wow, this is like a real witch's grave. This is so wild and cool and crazy at the same time, you know. And so I like put my hand on it and I thought, wonder if I feel anything, you know, just curiosity. And I put my hand on it, didn't feel anything really, just felt like rock. Didn't think much of it later. We went off and had some, you know, great food or whatever and went and heard, heard some jazz and stuff. And then over the next couple of weeks, every single night, I had this reoccurring dream of these ash people crawling out from underneath the bed and coming up and trying and waking me up, trying and saying, help me, help me, help oh me. My, yeah. yeah. And this went <laughs> on for a couple of weeks. And, and my mom took me to this store, you know, one of those stores where they have like all the witchcraft stuff and everything. And uh, I've told, she's, I told one of the ladies there and uh, she had me burn like a, a white and black candle or whatever uh, to purify my soul in my room or something like that. I don't know, whatever, but it did go away. So I don't know. Maybe there's something to it. That's just yes. so wild. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad we got to talk about this though. Cause it's, it's, <laughs> I, I was telling, well, no, I, I know it seems off topic, but you know, I was, t- I was telling John, like my podcast is all about just getting to know who people are, you know? So now, I mean, we got a little bit, a little bit more insight into who you are and honey, when you jumped on, um, we were actually, I was actually going to get him to talk about just his, his background, you know, starting from childhood and, and, um, well, off, I can like, go, what? I can go eat my, my food and you guys can do your talk. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for jumping on. I, I knew oh, yeah. I, 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 a pleasant surprise. I was, uh, I told he, you, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks, guys. That was, was fun. Like, He's going to get that son of a bitch who I hate from my past that I'm going to have <laughs> to flip out. And, uh, no, no, I, when, when you agreed to come on the show, man, I was so excited. And yeah. so I, I sent honey a message like, honey, John's going to come on my podcast. You should absolutely just do like a cameo. And then it, it worked out for her schedule. So that's when I was like, you know, Hey, I've got a surprise on, on your episode. Uh, I'm, I, I, going dead. I'm fixing to lose you. Sorry. Uh, bye honey. All right. Bye John. It's good to bye. see you. Good to bye. talk ghost with you. Okay. <laughs> talk more later. Yeah. <laughs> bye. I told you, man. I told you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't trust anybody. I don't even trust my own family. So, uh, I don't, how was I supposed to know it wasn't like my sixth grade teacher or I fucking oh yeah no it could have been somebody no honey, honey's <laughs> honey's one of my best friends I was like, oh, good, I was like dude, I, I've, I've got to have her on like yeah. you, you being on man it's uh and I, I if, you, if you'd been upset about it I would have been surprised I'm like holy smokes what happened between John and honey <laughs> that I didn't know about right oh that's she's perfect and uh, the ghost thing I really like that um she's into that because like you know we were talking we we're getting into it I do believe I've had some experiences but then when people like tell me things that they've seen the de- actual demons reveal themselves i'm fucking i i would be wearing adult diapers my whole life because all i would do is shit my pants that's crazy stuff i, I can't i could never imagine seeing a demon see i think i think uh, to me the ghosts i, I believe are, are demons and uh I, i've i've ex- i think i've experienced i'm pretty positive at least one but i think i've experienced two um so, so I, i'm 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 open about you know I, i'm a mental health advocate and like i i've had really bad OCD since I was a teenager. And, uh, there's a, there's a thing with OCD called hit and run OCD where like, if you hit a bump, like you, your brain tells you that you've run over somebody. And a lot of times you'll turn around and go look to make sure you didn't hit anybody. Oh yeah. I get um, it. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 no joke, man, I was still living in Nashville at the time and I'm, I'm driving down Charlotte Pike and there's this man standing on the side of the road and 
he was wearing sunglasses, but I, I kid you not, John, I could see his eyes lock with mine, even though he's wearing sunglasses. And he had this really evil look on his face. It was this oh, evil, like evil smirk that makes the Joker look like a nice guy. And he acted like he was going to jump out in front of my car. And I passed by him. And to this day, the only explanation I have for that behavior was this, this was a demon that just knew that this was a fear I had because of my OCD, you know? Like oh like, my God. That's I mean, crazy. Cause who, who does that? Right. Like, I mean, who, only who, crazy people are demons. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the second time I was actually at Walgreens and this guy was standing outside on the, the sidewalk and he was just like yelling all kinds of nonsense. He was yelling about King David and all this other stuff. And, so I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that dude probably was demon possessed as well, man. So like I, I kind of feel like they're not actually like dead people. I think it's demons. I never considered it being like aliens though. I'm not. I don't believe. Yeah, that's in interesting. That but, could be cool. You get an alien, you know, he's like uh, come and show it. Because like, there's that those theories that the aliens are actually time dimensional demon. You know, you, you get too deep into that stuff, you don't know. You don't know. Uh, it, there's no way to prove any of that stuff. But it, that's the interesting concept is that ghosts would be created or manifested by aliens that would just, I, I never considered that'd be trippy too that would be insane because then all of a sudden uh, not only are ghosts real aliens are real and they're working together <laughs> that'd be some crazy shit have you so. have you ever considered the idea that so you know they talk about time being linear right like time's a line what if all of time is happening now like simultaneous yeah exactly I think that's interesting um and that our puny brains can only experience one moment at a time uh i think that's a very interesting concept and i i who's to say it's not true i mean all things are happening all at once whether you know right now michael j fox is sitting around doing something while we're doing something here but somehow we're intrinsically connected because we're human and we live on the earth but imagine the whole web of all existence in the cosmos is together and it's all happening linear not linear it's happening you know, non-Euclidean. It's all it's all at once, and or it's disjointed. And yeah, we're just we're just making order of the chaos. Well, I, I, I it wouldn't surprise. I mean, it, it would make sense if that's the way it happens. And we're just at our point on the line, right? So, like right now, World War II is happening, but we're just at a different point on the line. So, you know, our our part of the line is happening, but so is World War II, and so is you know the next moon landing that's going to happen. Like you know, so is the oh. end of the you know the end of the world. Like it's. Um, I've, I, I kind of, I don't know, man, I, I like the idea of that being the case. And if that is the case, I think that would, would point to time travel being possible. Sure. Like, where would I, you go if you could time travel? Uh, hopefully to the future when I'm a millionaire and I don't have to fucking work anymore. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but no, like at, like actually a time, um, or, or a place, you know what I, I would, I would, this is true. If I had a time machine, I would go back to like about five concerts that I really want to see, like the Stop Making Sense tour for the Talking Heads, the one that they filmed with Jonathan Demme, totally would go see them. Or like one of the prime Grateful Dead concerts of like 1972 in Baltimore or something, go there for sure. So I'd go and like hop like famous concerts that I love. Uh, that would be a great, you know, week's vacation. That would be super cool, man. I, I have a similar, like I would, um, the first thing I would do is I'd probably go back to 1978 and I would, or I'm sorry, to 79, I would go see Dawn of the Dead in theaters. Mm. Um, I would go see Queen Live somewhere. I just pick a concert. I'd go to 85 and see Day of the Dead in theaters. Um, I'd go in, I'd probably go somewhere and meet my dad. Um, because my, my, my dad died when I was a kid, so I, I never really got to know him. So I would, I'd probably break the rules and just go, you know, I wouldn't tell him what's going to happen to him, but I would 
say hi to him or maybe, yeah you know i wonder if he could get away with like if i just shook his hand like what if i just you know happened to see him on the street and struck up a conversation with him you know uh, sure i, I, mean, I don't I don't know if that violate the rules or not. Well, that's the thing. Then they always see, you know, Doc Brown always says there's a paradox and a this or that and the other thing. I don't know. Maybe there's not. Maybe it's just shit happens and uh, the world keeps spinning and the cosmos keeps turning. I, I mean, can, can you imagine like you get to go back in time, you go to the concert and like you you ate a hot dog. You should have eaten a hot dog and you come back, man. Like your future is totally different. And like, <laughs> yeah. You know, that that would be so wild if that happened. It would. You know, so one of my things with, like, say, the Back to the Future franchise, which the first two are amazing. The third one, I think, lacks a little bit because it just becomes, like, sort of a Western. And that's fine and everything. But I think that it should have been that they, the people of the Old West, find the time machine. And, they're you know, that's what happens. And then they start to invite all the inventors from all around the country to come and look at this anomaly of they don't know what it is. They're all trying to figure it out. And then it becomes a heist where Doc Brown and Marty have to steal the time machine from the world's greatest thinkers. Right. And, of course, they're going to be horrible uh, to, to escape from because they're the smartest motherfuckers on Earth who know more than you do at the time. So it could have been a more uh, high Falutin adventure than just like oh it's Clint Eastwood with the furnace uh, door under the shirt. <laughs> I I really think if you could do something like that, and you if you, I think if you left even a tiny piece of you know 1970s tech, I think by the time you got back the world like somebody would have destroyed themselves at some point you know kind of mm-hmm. like in Atlantis because I, I I I think technology I mean imagine you look at the 20th century right and and I'll use okay so I went if you go to the Hermitage. There's a cemetery, and in that cemetery is buried, I think it's his granddaughter. It's Andrew Jackson's granddaughter, and she was born in 1870, and she died in 1970, so she lived to be 100 years old. Mm. Her life is a good example of what the 20th century was. There was such a monumental leap in technology growth because this is a woman that was born into a world that didn't really have electricity yet. It existed, but it wasn't common. There were no vehicles. She was born into a horse and buggy world with outhouses. And she died in a world where man walked on the moon. Yes. And I'm really hoping that she actually was cognizant enough to, to see that. And, and I mean, can, I mean, can you imagine that, man? I mean, by the time you're 20 years old, you know, electricity is becoming a thing. And then by the time you're at the end of your life, you're watching Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin laying on yeah, the moon. Yeah, that's the fucking, that's the greatest snapshot of human history as far as i'm concerned uh because so many things happen for better or worse it's just like the witnessing of all that uh, the wright brothers right and then how how many years later 60 years later they're on the moon what the fuck (laughs) yeah so 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 look at that look at that leap in technology okay and look how quickly it happened you look at what we what we went from 1900 to 2007 when the iphone came out imagine if you added another 100 years on top of that I think at some point somebody would have just destroyed themselves. Like, you know, cause they, you know, they talk about Atlantis, like one of the theories about Atlantis, if it was real, excuse me, was that they destroyed themselves mm-hmm. um, technologically. So like, I, I think, I think if I were going to write that narrative, I would actually have it where like they come back and there's no world to come back to, man. It was like, did you, did you ever watch Futurama? Yeah, sure. Do you remember the one where Fry, uh, he, he thinks he goes back or he, he thinks he goes to the future with his girlfriend and like the world's destroyed and he thinks it's just them and like everybody knows is dead. And um, it was the one where his girlfriend actually he found out she got frozen too. And um, his girlfriend from 1997 got frozen. I don't know if you mm. remember that episode. Or no, not. I don't remember. 
but they 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 get they decide to freeze themselves and uh then they somehow end up waking up in this hole and then it looks like the world's been destroyed basically like you know it's a post-apocalyptic world and come to find out like that's not the case but that's where i would go with that story because i think that's what really happened man i think at some point you know i, I think it's very possible that a society could get big enough that they would just absolutely destroy themselves sure i mean I mean, everybody's so quick with the nuke button, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, nuclear uh, assault. Imagine Rain Man, uh, to Raymond Babbitt from Rain Man, uh, memorized all the nuclear codes, and Charlie Babbitt had to, uh, you know, defend him, and then they go time travel. Now that's a movie. <laughs> I don't know where I came up with that. But <laughs> Could, I mean, could, could you make these no, things? We're, we're getting so we're getting so spaced out here, and that I, it's starting to hurt my brain to think of all the paradoxes and all the. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like, and this box man, leads to this box, and this box leads to yeah, this box, and this going forever. Uh, but theoretically, I mean, it really is only the here and now uh, because we there's no proof that uh, anything uh, else is actually happening. Other than small proofs, like you know, quantum physics says that molecules or, or, or atoms could be in its two places at once, or particles maybe. Uh, so that's like sort of an idea where two things that are the same could be in two separate places at once. But as far as time travel and stuff, there's no uh, unless they're not telling us something. You know, it's I don't know. it might it might exist. I mean, it okay. wouldn't surprise me if it does exist. I don't know. I, I, well, somebody once told me an interesting thought about time travel is that technically when you're taking a, a flight or something, that that's a form of time travel because what it would take a human just say to walk normally from one point A to point B, say New York to California would be however long it would take you to walk there, probably weeks or months. Um, but then you, you get into a car and that's a form of time travel. Or you get on a horse, that's a form of time travel because you're getting there faster. You're traveling faster in time, even though you're using this tool. So the idea that um, planes are also time travel uh, because you're traveling faster to get to a certain place and you're saving yourself all that time that you would have wasted if you had actually just walked or uh, jogged. That's a very practical look at it. You know, there, and there's and there's the, there's the time dilation things like because you know when people go to space they come back. I think their watches are actually slower. I think they've actually oh. lost time or something. Like I, I, maybe maybe they've maybe they've gone forward in time a little bit. Yeah, but when people come back from space, they actually there's there's been some time dilation that's happened. So there's all kinds of bizarre stuff. But yeah, man, I don't want to hurt your brain. Let's 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 take it out of the theoretical. <laughs> let's go back to. <laughs> but no, I, dude, I've you know I've actually never had conversations like this on the podcast before. But I oh. love it because we're you know this. We're getting to know John Brennan. Let's, yeah, it's it's wackadoo all twenty four seven up in this piece. Let's 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 re let's time travel back to yeah, the beginning. Where, we'll time travel back to the beginning. Where were you? Where were you born? Uh, I was born in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, in nineteen seventy nine. I'm an old piece of shit, but I don't care because I'm having a good time being an older person. You can't you know, see when you call yourself old, you're calling me old too. And I tell people I'm old as well. So I understand that, but I'm only, I'm only six years younger than you. So it's, <laughs> well, don't worry. It gets worse. <laughs> so have you, have you spent your entire life in New York basically? Uh, no. So the first, uh, what, 23 years of my life was in New York. I started out in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. I was there for about seven years. Uh, you know, while I was there, I, did poo-poos and peepees in a lot of diapers. I choked on a slice of Sicilian pizza. And on the day that I moved uh, from Brooklyn to a place called Floral Park, which is on the border of Queens and Long Island, I got chicken pox. So that was a really big transition that 
on the actual day that I was moving to a new town, I got this goddamn cocksucking chicken pox and I had to stay indoors for like, uh, you know, probably two weeks or whatever and stay quarantined away from my family and stuff. So you actually remember it? Like you remember getting chicken pox? Oh, hell yeah. I remember, I remember my first memory to go back just slightly is uh, probably when I was two going on three and I was playing with these uh, uh, magnets on my refrigerator in Brooklyn and they were shaped like, different fruits there was a strawberry a raspberry a blueberry a banana and i was reorganizing them and just having a grand old time and my dad came up to me and he said so you're gonna be three tomorrow right and i said yeah and that was the last <laughs> that's my memory like i honestly remember that um so that was my first thing so remembering chicken pox i remember it like it was yesterday it was like uh, oh, a lot right. of video games a lot of a lot of movies um and then I remember I got bored and uh, we were, they were unpacking the house around me. So there were things around and my brother came in and he was like on a blanket and uh, I had these karate pajamas and I had a black belt on the karate pajamas. They were like karate gi, but soft. So you could sleep in them. And I took, the, <laughs> I took the belt and I never abused my brother. This was like one of the only times I ever did something really fucked up to him. I really quickly squished the uh, blanket and I tied it tight so he was like inside in a blanket going, ah! And uh, I laughed at him for about 30 seconds and then I let him out. Is this your younger brother? Yeah, that's my younger brother. So uh, after that, I felt so bad for him. I only like maybe smacked him around once or twice. He can smack me around. He's way bigger than me now. I can never fuck with him. That's how, did you, did you, how many of you are there in the in the breed? Just, you... just the two of us. Two me, okay. my mom, my dad, and my brother was the four of us, you know. Uh, I mean, that's your job on. as an older brother, though, man. You got to kind of mess with your, your little brother. I mean, that's... Yeah, once or twice, you know. But I really, I tried to keep him uh, as a friend, you know, because sometimes you're, uh, you know, not necessarily having the best time, but you can come home and hang out with your brother. That's that's a good time. Yeah. Are, are you guys pretty similar or y'all totally different? Similar and different in certain ways. I mean, uh, he's, you know, he's... Uh, I feel like he's more um, strong in certain ways uh, than I, like I'm more of a dreamer and he's more practical, you know, like he'll be able to fix the goddamn shit out of your sink, but I can't even turn it on, you know, like that kind of stuff. He's, he's more, definitely more practical or can build. You're you're the artist and he's kind of the mechanic guy basically. But he's also an amazing songwriter. Like no joke. He's written some of the funniest goddamn songs ever heard. And the two of us made a rap album together in 2011 called uh, the Bocce brothers hard ass. And uh, to him and I are the Bocce brothers. I'm the rooster and he's the ham bone. And we wrote a whole record. It's, it's some of the best hip hop of the last 25 years. Is it? No I mean, do you have an like SoundCloud? Did you, did you have it It's up there SoundCloud? somewhere. It's it's definitely on my Bandcamp, uh, at, uh, at John Brennan uh, Bandcamp. So that you know, it's it's a great record, and he writes his own songs. I mean, he hasn't put them out yet. I keep telling him like, get it out there. They're fucking funny. I mean, they're a little raunchy, but who cares? We're all that's adults. Part, that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 interesting. Like my, if you met my brother, you probably wouldn't know he's my brother because we're completely different. Ah. we're completely different he I, i'm bald he has hair i'm fat he's thin uh our personalities are completely different our interests are completely different like what is, what does your brother do is he is he in entertainment as well he's a plumber no he's uh yeah he's a plumber he's 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 done stuff with me and and things like that and he's uh you know made his own music and stuff but he, he has a, a normal job and he makes his money and he does his thing 
You can make some serious money as a plumber. Oh, yeah. Especially he's, as a master plumber. He's doing better than me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you kidding? But if, I mean, if you're having Bro. fun, that's what matters, though. You know? Yeah, no, it's 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 it all it all circles back to whether or not you're having a good time. And I mostly have a good time. What first got you interested in music? Well, actually, before you answer that, what were your parents like? Were, were they big music people? Were they big movie people? Yeah, absolutely. They both were. Um, so my my father and mother both loved music, very learned in a lot of different genres. It's not like they were like, oh, we only listen to country, you know, any of that. No, it was like everything. I mean, for my father, when I was young, Teddy Pendergrass, you know, all, so, all sorts of stuff. And um, same with my mother. She had a great, great, uh, you know, the panoply of things that she would listen to. So I, I really learned from them not to uh, close anything off as far as genre. And then um, I was coming up as a young man, a young boy in the age of VHS. So we had a VHS player and I taped everything. They taped everything. I mean, I don't even think that I requested to see like weird science or something. They just rented it and we watched it. And, you know, of course, I had to close my eyes during the really fucked up parts. But overall, they were like, yeah, they can watch this movie. It's funny. Just close your eyes during the titty scene. Or, you know, if it gets too intense, let me know. We'll turn it off. But I never really had uh the only thing that i really had a fucked up time with was the exorcist that screwed my life up for a good three or four months and still to this day has residual effects and uh, so even as a kid man you got to see like the howling and the lost boys and american lost boys so howling i didn't get to see until a little later probably i was like uh 13 14 but um the lost boys i saw when i was seven or eight and i not even joking you i watched it probably every single day one summer when i got it on vhs and my parents thought all right maybe this guy has a problem (laughs) but i just loved it so much because it was like the perfect score the perfect movie funny it was like always intense it was it never got boring to me so yeah the lost boys is one of the greatest movies i ever saw it it is one of those like quintessential 80s films like it's one of those like decade defining like or like you know night of the comet or it's but the lost boys does it without the cheese i think it really romanticizes and captures the essence of that decade but it does it without the cheesiness but we're something like night of the comet does the same thing but it has it has that kind of cheesiness with it as well but not in a bad way i love that it's a fantastic film sure but, but you know well, what i mean lost like, boys is equal parts scary and funny i mean it's it's there's really freaky parts uh, you know and then uh, not only just with the horror, but just the psychology of saying ha- hanging off of that bridge uh, with the fog below and not knowing how far down it. Like, that's what a, what a crazy concept they came up with. And then having the train run over and you're sitting there shaking, not look, sure if you can let go. This is genius, genius stuff in that movie. The suspense of that scene, too, especially seeing that as a kid, man. I, I think, I, you know, as weird as this to say, because, I mean, you know, children shouldn't watch that movie, but. I saw it as a child as well. Like, I think I think you have a greater appreciation for the suspense of that scene if you're watching it as a kid. Yeah, know, because you, there's something about not having been jaded by life yet. You're you're a little more susceptible to that suspense. I think it affects you deeper. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe you can argue that it traumatizes you a bit. I I, I can't know for no, sure. But Lost Boys didn't traumatize me. The the goddamn Exorcist traumatized me. That was a bastard, a real bastard. I'm talking. It was so bad that I even watched the TV version and I was uh, having nightmares for a whole summer. <laughs> so barring The Exorcist, what what was the first horror film you saw that really captured you and you're like, you fell in love with the genre? Well, before I 
could even watch horror movies. I was like afraid of thriller and stuff like that. I wouldn't watch them for a while. Uh, but then eventually I got to see thriller. Um, and then the first horror movie that broke me through to loving the genre was Friday the 13th part four, because it was, you know, the, the, I love the Goonies. I, I saw the Goonies as a young, young kid. I think I saw the Goonies in theaters on the day of my kindergarten graduation. So to me, it was like it was always uh, I was afraid of Freddie, Jason, Michael, uh, Myers, all that stuff. But when I think one of my cousins explained to me, like Corey Feldman's in it and he's a Goonie. And, uh, you know, and I said, oh, if a Goonie could, you know, endure Jason and maybe win, then I could watch it because I'm not a coward. I, you know, I went on the adventure of the Goonies. Let's see what this adventure is. I watched it. I loved it. And ever since then, I just devoured every franchise, especially at that time. Um, so yeah, that really, the, that was the, the gateway. Um, and then there were a few hiccups along the way. Like I said, the exorcist, the first, uh, Hellraiser was really hard to get through. Cause that was such a gnarly, nasty piece, piece of work. I had never seen effects like that. And, you know, I got through it, but it was really, I felt dirty afterwards, you know, that sort of stuff. So yeah, the chain, the chain, that movie really romanticizes pain. So it's depending on how young you were, you saw that I can imagine that was very, uh, I mean, there's just something about seeing those hooks going to the flesh and ripping it off. I mean, that's, that's yeah. those are tough movies. And the idea that it's somehow enjoyable to the Cenobites uh, is just really freakishly uh, disturbing to when you're a kid because you never would have ever thought of a concept like that. Uh, but it, now I know it's a masterpiece and uh, I love two. I even love three. Uh, I even love four. Four. Hellraiser 4 is such a sad uh, situation because the script is amazing. There's parts that are amazing, but somehow they butchered it. Um, and I'll defend four. I think if if it was properly released, it could have been as good as one or two. Easy. It's it's weird that the the Cenobites were once human. I mean, you look at them and they were they were once human beings who were terrified of the Cenobites and afraid. And then now they like you know one of the I think one of the craziest things about part two was when uh, Doctor Shenard I think was his name when they you know. They, he gets put in the box and it lowers down and, you know, and it, the, the transformation process of becoming a Cenobite starts and yeah. they come out, they come out. I mean, true Cenobites, man, like they love pain. They, you know, they're, it's that those are freaky, freaky, freaky. Like those are some of the scariest movie monsters in my opinion that are out there. And it's when it's weird, it's, it's weird that Clive Barker actually dreamt them, you know, like, like the whole, the whole concept was a dream for him. In fact, I think most of what like, he honey, writes, she's having some fucking dreams. She got to write that shit down, man. This is new Clive Barker over here. I'll, I'll tell her, but you know, it's funny. She's a writer, man. So I'll tell her about that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let her know. Like you should just totally yeah. make a note of it right now. Actually. Yeah, write, th write that stuff. Cause the uh, ash monsters. I mean, come on. <laughs> My butt yeah. cheeks is still clenched thinking about that. Let's see about her alien and supernatural experiences. I'll, I'll absolutely mention it to her. It's not a, it's actually not a bad idea. So Horror captures you as a kid, um, you, and it sounds like your your parents definitely had an impact on you in terms of like your your taste in music and your and your love for music. What what was the first instrument you, you learned to play? Uh, a, a guitar. So I well, no, wait, that's not true. So I did take drum lessons, uh, and I mean, I guess the recorder doesn't count when you're everybody learns that bullshit when you're a kid. I don't know what the benefit of it is, but you learn it, and it's fun. It sounds stupid. It's it's great. Um, but I did take some drum lessons and I did all right, but I just never really uh, uh, pursued it. So then the first official 
thing that I did was in sixth grade, I got a guitar and I started taking lessons. Um, so I learned bar chords right up front, which were really cool. And I learned a couple of scales, um, that this guy, Aaron, I think his name was Aaron. He was in a band back then. Uh, it was like a heavy metal band or whatever. And he was like a cool long haired dude. He would come over and like eat my mother's food and then teach me the guitar, you know, that kind of stuff. It was cool. Um, but the thing that he taught me right off the bat was bar chords. And then he taught me like eight or nine songs that you could do all based on the bar chords. So I learned stuff like Wild Thing, Louie Louie, Hang On Sloopy, uh, uh, the, the Van Halen version of You Really Got Me. You know, so he taught me all this stuff. And um, unfortunately, I got a bad grade in, and uh, the lessons were taken away from me. So I didn't really pursue guitar that I would play it every once in a while. But then in I think it was either sophomore or junior of high school, I got an acoustic guitar and a book of Beatles songs for my uh, for Christmas. And that that was it. I mean, I learned the chords myself. I look, you know, and then I taught myself the rest and just started playing and writing songs ever since. So he so, taught you bar chords before he taught you open chords. Yeah. Yeah. And I, thought, I think that was a really smart thing to do because it got my hands uh, even throughout all the years that I didn't play guitar, I still had that like uh, muscle memory in my hands that I could still play the bar chords. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge opening up of my uh, guitar experience. If I hadn't learned the bar chords first, I probably wouldn't have been able to uh, explore the different genres and stuff that I was able to do much later on. How long did it take you to conquer F? F, I still don't play it right. I still I, don't play it right. Two years in, man. I hate that note, dude. I, I, I to me, the, the the full bar is easier than that that half bar F. I hate that note. I, I actually, I, I like the half bar F better than the full bar F because when you're all the way down at the end, so for some reason, that like last fret seems so much bigger than the other ones, so it's harder to bar it all. So I, I don't even care about the the E string. I, the, the, you know, the top E. I just like kind of mute it with my hand, so I just play it. I don't play it right. <laughs> oh, there, and then, and then there's the cheating F. You know, it's like you know, you you play C, but you go down, you go down the string. Yeah, yeah, I like that F too. Uh, it's got a different sound when you have like the top string uh, or the bottom string uh, open and stuff. It gives you a different sound. So different sounds for different things. But yeah, I can't play a proper F to save my life. So is is guitar what really? I I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this question. At what point in your life did you know that film music you wanted to pursue something in the arts professionally if you could like when 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 did that really occur to you yeah there's there's a video of me as a little little kid um and it was like one of the first times that my parents they before you could buy these uh v h s cameras you could rent them from a store and have them for the weekend and do like a thing. And uh, there's footage of me as a little kid being like, let's make a movie. And I'm like trying to direct it and stuff. So I had the bug back then, even as a little kid. Um, but as far as deciding to go into the and pursue this insane, uh, ridiculous, probably moronic uh, life path uh, <laughs> was later on. I my, my friends and I made uh, all these like sort of short movies and skits with high eight cameras back in the nineties, like, you know, 94, 95, 96. Um, and I just loved that so much. And I, I was seeing sort of the dawn of like stuff, like we were doing performance art before Tom green and stuff before we ever saw those shows. And then when those shows were coming out, 
we were like, oh, we were doing that. Like, that's what we were doing. So now it's like sort of coming to the forefront. Maybe we could make this work if we tried a little bit of that early on. And then I sort of abandoned that because then Jackass came out and blew everything away. Um, so I started to try to write scripts and I went to film school. And that's when I went down the path of like, you know, what, developing what I might uh, be able to offer the world as what, far as, you know. What, what year did you start film school? Uh 97 i graduated high school in 97 so i went to film school that following uh september so september 97 were they at that time were they teaching anything digital or was it still all film no so i saw literally like in that from 97 to 2001 when i graduated at the first two years we were all strictly on flatbed uh you know uh eight millimeter film 16 millimeter film was shooting on bolex uh, editing uh, with the razor blades and the, on the flatbeds and all that shit. And then all of a sudden the digital revolution came uh, to the point where I purchased uh, um, because I, had, I was also a janitor while I went to college because I lived with my parents when I went to college. I didn't go to have the dorm room experience. Uh, so I commuted to school and I was able to have a, like a full-time job at the same time. So I saved up a shitload of money as a janitor and I bought a an XL1 which at the time was like a broadcast camera. So that's what I did my uh, senior thesis on, which was called My Dream of Three-Way. It's a, it's a, it's a 35-minute uh, sex comedy about a guy who wants to have, he wants nothing more than to have a threesome with his girlfriend and another woman. And uh, his girlfriend, does, she doesn't want to have it. And he's like obsessed with porn. And uh, it gets all fucked up for him because he like keeps forcing the issue. So in the end he loses he doesn't have his goddamn three-way and all he all he wants in the end is his is his woman and he pushed her away so that's it and i shot it on the xl1 kind of on purpose as a uh to mimic the porn of the time because at that time i had the the spice channel and you know the porn was looking pretty good at that time as far as like you know digital photography and stuff like that so i said i want to make my movie sort of look like a porn uh, but it's it's you never see the the actual porn scenes. It's like the scenes in between the sex. Okay, so I'm looking at the XL1 as it was a Canon. Yeah, Canon XL1, and it was all it was like the camera that they shot the behind the scenes on the Howard Stern show and stuff. It was a pretty high end camera. It's cool uh, too. It's got a red. It's kind of a red and white or red and gray. Yeah. So the other thing about that camera is that that was the, that microphone on top was amazing, and so the way I started recording home recording music was that I used that XL one and I would record uh, different layers of sound. So say I would do like the drum beat, then I would do the bass, then I would do the guitar. And that's how I learned to start mixing sound in final cut pro using the XL one as sort of like my microphone. Uh, and all my first stuff is based on XL one audio and mixed in final cut. And so, it was it was DV format, correct? It was DV. DV. Yes, yes. Okay. So you had to you have the FireWire to go in and all that stuff, and you had to capture it. You know, in order to capture an hour, you had to sit and let the pl tape play for an hour and capture it on the hard drive. What was what was it like going from working with you know sixteen millimeter? Did you ever get to do thirty five millimeter in school? Not thirty five. No, I, we did. I did one. Uh, I mean, I did a shitload of eight millimeter, and then one sixteen millimeter. And then that was it. The digital revolution came to be. What was it like going from eight and 16 millimeter to DV? I loved it because all of a sudden the, the editing process 
which was fine, you know, for what it was on the flatbeds or whatever, but it's, it was so painstaking and so hard and you had to line things up and sometimes you cut too many frames. You have to go back, splice them back in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the, the idea that final cut pro the editing software was so incredible to me because I was able to have this thing laid out in front of me and edit it in two days instead of two weeks. You know what I mean? Like it was so such a revolution. And you can do things really fast, like a dissolve or a, anything. It was so so great. And then you could put effects. You could change the whole thing into black and white and say, eh, I didn't like that. Let me change it back, and, you know, 30 seconds later. It was amazing. It's literally a mouse click away. But you know, what, you know what's funny is I, I, I recognize all of the pros and the benefits of, of, of digital as a filmmaker. But I actually really envy people like yourself who got to – experience filmmaking working with film because I, I i'm really fascinated by it like especially when i learned about optical soundtracks that you could actually you know print the soundtracks on the film and it's just so fascinating to me and actually getting to work with those steam be- the steam becks and the um you know the actual cutting film and I, there's just something magical about that to me you know it but, was but, it, but I, it had to be nerve-wracking too because i mean like you know, there there was no such thing as a zero budget film back then i mean you had you had to buy film you know, and then you had to make sure you didn't expose it and you had to, you know, and, and you really, you're, you're I, I measure your shooting ratios are really important, especially if you're doing an independent film. Like, you know, if you were like, okay, I bought enough film to do three to one, you have to do three to one. Right. I mean, like what if, what if you don't get the take you need in three takes, what do you do? You just pick Screw. the one that sucks the least. Totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like uh, that's the thing is it was, it's, it, I was watching, uh, I was speaking to my girlfriend about this recently. We saw, I walked with a zombie in 35 millimeter, which is, an old Jacques Turner movie and uh, just the way that the shots are sort of planned out and you could tell that they didn't do a lot of coverage and that the, the different shots and the different movements were uh, very um, uh, obvious. Uh, Maybe not obvious is the word, but it was very planned out. You don't have to do that anymore. And I think sometimes work suffers for it because you could take 57 different angles and make a, a scene but it, it can get boring. You keep cutting back to the same face of this. But if you plan a shot and you know, I only have two takes to get this goddamn dolly move, you need to make it perfect and you get it. And there's something more magical and beautiful about that style of filmmaking. So I think uh, maybe some filmmakers, and hopefully one day I'll be able to do this, is limit myself. Instead of saying, I'm going to take 50 takes, say, no, we got to get this in two, just as an artistic uh, demand for yourself, you know, and it might turn yeah. out better. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely can. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting. Cinematography has gotten so wild, and and I, I just personally as a filmmaker, I'm I'm kind of old school. I, I prefer you know tripod shots, still pan. That's about it. You know, like I, I would do dolly shots, but I don't have a dolly. Um, but you know, I, I tend to stick to like static and and, and pan shots. Um, you know, and I'm very influenced by George Romero. You know, he shot like a comic book. Um, and that's just, I, I don't know. I, I think his movies had such an impact on me that when I, when I'm writing a screenplay, when I'm seeing it in my head, it, it very much plays out like the, you know, the, the Romero films I grew up seeing. And I, and I, and that, that's what appeals to my eye. You know, that's how I like to frame things. But, but then, you know, some of my, my business partners, um, one of them, Lucas, uh, man, uh, the only way I know how to describe him is like a guerrilla filmmaker. And it wasn't until doing a film with him recently that I really appreciated that style of filmmaking Um, because they actually did a short film called the shape. that's going to premiere soon. And it's a, it's a fan, it's a fan film and it's, it's 
and I don't think there's a still shot in it, man. I think it's all gimbal and and just, you know, handheld stuff. And, um, but we actually just did a film for the Knoxville film festival. We did a, a seven day shootout contest where you have seven days to make a, you know, four to seven minute short film. And, um, so it was, it was, you know, so we shot with two cameras, he had his, I had mine and I got all the tripod shots. He, and he got all the, you know, the gimbal and just moving shots. And it, it was, and it's so wild, but when we put it all together and edited it, I actually really fell in love with, with the, the, the hybridization of it. You know, we had, you know, you had these beautiful tripod shots, but then he got some really cool and creative, just the creativity you have with that gimbal, you know, just some of the crazy stuff he did, man. Like I, I really, it, that project, I really understood. And, and, and I, I gained a greater appreciation for, I guess this more modern filmmaking style, you know, that's completely sure. contrary to mine, but man, there really is a place for it. And they, and, and then when you watch the shape and, and it's done in that way, you, it actually doesn't look like it's poorly done. It actually makes sense. Sure. You know, like, because, I mean, his, his, cause I, I look at filmmaking kind of like painting, you know? And, and so, I mean, his canvas makes sense because it's done purely on his canvas. You know, like if I had gone in and done a couple of things in the shape, it would, the canvas would have made sense. You would have known there was an invader there, you know, <laughs> like somebody else. Right added to it like as a filmmaker because i mean you're a filmmaker like what 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 is how would you describe your style what do you like to do when you're making a film well as of now i mean uh, as far as i haven't done a feature yet um i've only done mostly shorts and web series and i've produced a lot of movies um but as far as my directing style up until this point is just get the goddamn thing done i mean that's really uh, you know anything that i've ever done has been sort of on the side as far as what i've directed like i directed a bunch of shorts for trauma and a lot of the times that was just like extracurricular activity that i had 50 bucks to make and uh just get it get it done make it funny make it stupid and that was really it and some of those went on to do some uh you know in festivals and stuff um so that's my that was my old school way if i were to have a feature and have an actual budget all i would do for months is just plan and plan and plan and plan and shot list and make sure that everything you know was sort of designed before even stepping on set because i feel like sometimes you get on set and you're experimenting and uh it's it's just taking up too much time but if you have the shot designed and you can sort of you know, roll with the punches if something comes up, but you know what you need to achieve to make the scene. I think that that's the way that I would approach uh, any feature that I I uh, might be able to make. But ultimately, it's just for you, it's just about getting the project done, whatever that looks like. But you, Before, but you might yeah, no, by hook or by hook or by crook, anything that I've done previous to this is just get the goddamn thing finished. Uh, let's, you know, if we have to cut corners, we'll cut corners in a creative way. If we don't have the like, for instance. Uh, on Shakespeare's Shitstorm, a movie I produced for Lloyd Kaufman. I'm not going to disparage anybody personally, but I'll say the teams like we went and we scouted this location a month prior to shooting. Right. And there was no discussion to anybody from any of, of the of the departments to say we need to you know fix this hallway or any, anything. All of a sudden, the day of we're shooting, they're requesting five, six hundred dollars for fabric on the walls. And I said, no, absolutely not. No, this is we, we don't have the money for that. A and B. Nobody said anything in advance. So we have to figure out how we're going to make this thing work with what we have. So we quite literally put the whole, the movie's wardrobe in the hallway. And we found as many mop buckets and, and brooms as we could, and we put it out. We put all the garbage cans. That luckily, there was a piano in the adjacent hallway, and we wheeled it. So we found all these things, and the scene looks good. So we had to spend $0 to make that happen. 
Um, whereas other people in the world would just throw money, money, money. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you got no money for the next day's scenes, you know? So yeah. th- that's why it's uh, very important to budget out, especially when you're doing a feature. I mean, with shorts, you can sort of uh, run and gun because really how much are you going to shoot on a short unless you're sinking? I don't know. I wouldn't sink more than five grand into a short personally, but that's just me. <laughs> no, that, that sounds about right. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and plus you have all the freedom. I mean, there's no deadlines and things like that. Typically yeah. shorts, and you, you kind of just march the beat of your own drum. But a lot of times you can figure out creative ways uh, to not spend money. You just think of like, I don't know, just like cutting corners. And sometimes it turns out better than you, uh, you would have thought. Um, but yeah, no, t- t- personally though, if I'm ever going to do a feature meticulous planning, that's the, the way. But if you're out there and you're an aspiring filmmaker and you just want to make something, just get it done as soon as possible, yeah. as soon as you can. Yeah, and that's 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 what John says to do. John, you know, Joe Bob, that's what he says to do as well. In yeah. fact, you know, it, it was his monologue he did on the last drive-in, the keep rolling uh, thing. That that was a life-changing five minutes and forty-seven seconds for me. That um, I, I want to meet him one day and shake his hand and thank him and just tell him I, all I want to say to him is thank you because of you. I'm a podcaster today and I'm a filmmaker today. Wow. That's amazing. And I don't, I don't know if I'll ever make it big. I don't know if I'll ever get past the independent, but man, I, I, it, it was, it was that monologue and it was his inspiration talking to him over cameo that, that pushed me into, into just doing it, getting out there and doing it, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and it actually leads me into my next question for you. Um, what is what is your take on film school? You know, like when you look back, uh, because it's it. I, I've recently I've been listening to the Eli Roth's History of Horror, and and I, I've been considering. I could I tried to go. To, I was in film school for twelve hours. I just didn't have the the capital to go. You know, so I knew I had to do it on my own. But it seems like a lot of the bigger filmmakers out there that make it, at least in horror, they they, they are film school graduates. You know, I mean, I know there are plenty of directors that didn't go, but. What is your take on it? Do you, do you think it's not necessary? Do you think it is necessary? I mean, do you think it matters? Like, what's your take on that? Um, in hindsight, it, well, not in hindsight, but it, if I had come up a little later uh, in the day and age of now, you could basically get a free film school education just with your internet connection. I mean, uh, just watching films, watching YouTube tutorials, getting, I mean, your phone has a better camera on it than the XL1 right now. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, in this day and age, I think film school is becoming less and less important, but there are film schools out there that I would absolutely not disparage. I mean, you've got your USC's, your NYU's, you know, these are places that this prestigious stuff and the uh, almost uh, not even just the filmmaking aspects, the networking aspects are just, just it's outrageous. So if you have a chance to go to those prestigious film school, absolutely go. But if it's a case of, uh, you know, you feel like, you're going to the local film school and it's not the best and that's your only option. You may, uh, you know, go to college. I'm not saying don't go to college, but take some money uh, that you have on the side and make a film over the summer, make a feature, you know, that's, that's the real, I think, uh, groundswell now because the technology is more available to us than any time. Get 10 of your friends, write a stupid script and make a movie over the summer. That would be my suggestion because you could make something that looks great for not a lot of money. You can make something for $10,000 or less. that still looks amazing. And then you can get distribution in places like Troma or wild eye releasing, you know, they're putting out all this sort of lower underground stuff, you know? So just go for it in, in my opinion. But 
Did I have some things in film school that I would never have learned or would have taken me longer to learn? Absolutely. I had a great film theory uh, instructor and uh, all sorts of classes that I took, Kubrick classes, Cassavetes classes. That That's the thing that I remember from my film school more than even just the practical filmmaking aspects was watching movies and being exposed to movies by people who just knew the, they were these film historians. Um, so I, I, that was an invaluable experience to me for sure. So it's good and bad. I also had a piece of shit, dog shit, uh, couple of instructors who, uh, I don't want to say their names, but they were garbage people, garbage people who tried to suppress me as an artist. Don't ever take that shit from nobody. Even if they are your instructors, if they're yeah. wrong, you tell them they're wrong. Because if they're suppressing you and your vision, and then they're letting other people, like, for instance, I wrote this movie called Professional Ass for Rent in college, right? And it was all about this guy who you can hire to do your dirty work. It was before the movie Dirty Work. You you could hire the professional ass for rent to say, get revenge on somebody that you hate or whatever, whatever. It was a stupid short. Uh, so meanwhile... He he won't approve my script. This this the the one of the guys in in this filmmaking class, one of the professors, to the point where I had to rewrite the script like thirty times, and then finally he just crossed out the word "ass" in the script. He approved this the the, the whole concept and everything. On top of that, other people in the class are making movies where people are shooting themselves in the head or killing their girlfriend and bury them out in the fucking woods. So I can't have a guy named Professional Ass for Rent. But you have people murdering and, and that's garbage because back then it was all Quentin Tarantino worship. You know, everybody's everybody's making a movie about a hit man who talks funny. I was making a movie about a fucking professional ass friend who would piss on your car door because he was hired to do so. But that was unacceptable for some reason. Anyway, that's my uh, rant about film school. Don't listen to the motherfuckers who want to suppress your bullshit uh, vision. It's the, the digital age has changed things enough that it, it's not as it, but I think you hit the nail on the head as I'm listening to you, the, the networking part of it, I think is, is yeah. big. I, I think that's maybe why it seems like a lot of the people that have made it into Hollywood, the Hollywood sector of things. It, it's the, the, the connections they made in film school or, you know, it, it's, I think, I think that's probably the, that's probably it right there. It's not film school itself. It's those connections you make. It's the connection. It's, and it's also, um, I mean, I owe my, basically my uh, career right now to the fact that I gave my time away for free at Trome Entertainment. And also before that to other things like public access or, or I went to like the Upright Citizen Brigade and took classes and I met a lot of people there um, and people who I still work with to this day. So sometimes giving yourself away for free uh, and as long as you're not being fully exploited where you're not getting anything in return, uh, do it because you'll get the networks, you'll meet people who are going on to do bigger and better things later on down the line. And if you're a hard worker and really uh, passionate about what you do, they'll remember you and they'll, they'll hire you and they'll bring you along. That's what happened to me. I, I met uh, Justin Martell and Matt Mangerides, the executive producers of The Last Drive-In. Back in trauma days, they were trauma guys. They, they worked at trauma for many years. And when I was coming in, they were on their way out. Uh, but we worked together on some things and they always remembered. And then it just so happened that, uh, you know, the whole last driving thing happened. So if you're not being exploited, give yourself away for free. It might work. How did, how did you guys end up landing that show? Uh, so as far as I know, um, Matt Mangerides was at, I think it was the Fantasia film festival. Um, but he, but, but actually rewind. He, 
Matt Mandrini is connected with Joe Bob Briggs very early on in his trauma career and tried to get something going between Joe Bob and trauma. And that just didn't work out. Um, but Matt, you know, stayed in touch with Joe Bob and remembered and uh, always hoped that something would happen later on. He was at the Fantasia film festival and um, got to speaking with the people at shutter. And he was like, uh, what about Joe Bob Briggs? And they're like, yeah, well, Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. 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 So they, they got in touch with Joe Bob and the things all started rolling. So uh, that's, that's, you know, that's really what the, the impetus for the whole uh, resurrection of Joe Bob was. And then of course, uh, Joe Bob came in, he brought Darcy, the male girl, who is a huge, uh, uh, you know, addition. Then you, you have uh, Justin Martell and Matt Mangiridis brought on Austin Jennings, who has uh, obviously directed every single episode of The Last Drive-In. And then the team just started to form from there. I, I knew Yuki Nakamura, so I suggested him when they asked if I knew anybody who could be the, a production designer or set builder. And this team just slowly started to uh, formulate that way. That's so incredible. Cause I mean, you know, the idea had been presented to him before and he was like, nobody wants to see something that's, you know, done 20 years ago. Like, and, and, and I, I, so honey and I did a podcast this past weekend. Uh, we did the, the night of the horror file podcast. And, um, one of the things we, I, I had talked about on that, there's a real difference between the baby boomer generation that John comes from and the and by the way, when I say John, I mean Joe Bob. I just I'm I'm used to, <laughs> um, but there's there's a there's a big difference. That's for the audience, by the way. Um, there's a big difference between his generation, the baby boomer generation, and ours. Like I, I feel like our generation. Uh, I don't know. It seems it seems like you know Joe Bob's generation. They they don't care about the past. They just look at now and then the future. But like we, for whatever reason, are really attached to the past and our childhoods and nostalgia. It just seems like it's a bigger thing for us. So I, I think I think that's maybe why he looked at it that way. I don't think he really realized like how big nostalgia is for people our age. You know, I mean, like you know, it's it's you know, it's it's funny because with Honey, she's always so surprised uh, at her fan base. Like you know, and she, it's like she doesn't believe me. I'm like you know, Honey, there are tons of people out there who love you. Like we you know, we all grew up watching you. Like you know, people people love you. And she's always so. I mean, no matter how many times she sees it, it always blows her away. Like it's how many people out there remember who she is and, and her, her, you know, love, love the male girl character and love her. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting that, that difference. So it's cool that you guys were able to, to pull that off. So, you know, you're, you're fixing to go into season five, which is amazing. What's, what's it like Two two of my biggest questions for you. One, what's it like getting to do the show, you know, and getting to work with, with John and, and, and two, I think you have one of the scariest jobs on the show doing the music. Like, how do you come up with ideas? How do you remain or how do you, how do you, how, where, where do you come up with stuff, man? Like, and, and how do you sleep at night knowing that like, you're going to have to come up with something original tomorrow with it. And where do those ideas come from? Can you kind of elaborate on all that? Well, the first question was, uh, how, what, what, sorry. What was the first question? Oh, sorry. Sorry. It's uh, a, <laughs> what, what's, what's it, what's it like getting to do this show and to work with John? Oh, well, I mean, it's amazing. So I uh, was a fan of Monster Vision, and I was even I, I had known Joe Bob before that with his uh, show on the Movie Channel. When I used to have sleepovers with my cousins and stuff, we would watch these weird movies with this crazy cowboy introducing them, and I never thought anything of it. Uh, but then when Monster Vision came along, I was more of a fan of that, and I would catch it every time I could. So getting to work with him is just—it's the most surreal thing ever. I. I never in a million years thought that I would be able to work with somebody of his caliber. 
uh it, it's because it's it's right up my alley it's literally the thing that i love i love horror and uh i love that whole genre but also on top of that i get to do music on the show which is just i never again in a million years thought that i would be doing music like this professionally uh, i would always just was a home recording weirdo who i I just tried like musical stand-up once in a while but uh it, it, i never pursued it and to like sort of have this strange opportunity fall in my lap with somebody as uh renowned as joe bob briggs i I probably won't uh really grasp the true nature of it until many many years from now it's i'm just like living through it you know um as far as the musical stuff it it comes from everywhere so sometimes it'll be suggested by say austin jennings will have a bit he wants to do uh, related to a movie or Joe Bob Briggs himself will write a bit in and then I'll have to collaborate with them and, and figure out the music or they'll just say, hey, what do you have an idea for this? And I'll just uh, whip something up or sometimes I'll pitch stuff uh, like the spooky song. I, I Austin said, what do you want to try this season? I said, I definitely want to do a hip hop song. I mean, I'm ready. And he was like, oh, that's great because we have this uh, movie spookies we're going to do. And uh, the week before we're showing Maniac Cop 2 and they have an end credit you know, a rap song, and then we'll do our own end credit rap song for Spooky. And it's just like, uh, you know, it stemmed from that, like, uh, organically. Uh, so it comes from everywhere, you know, and um, I, I don't want to toot my own asshole over here, but I have written about 800 songs in my life, and, it, and I always say better out than in. So anytime that I have an idea for a song or something, I have to get it out and onto either, you know, my phone or do a demo of it because if it was in my head bouncing around, I would literally lose my mind. <laughs> so. Do you do you feel do you ever feel anxiety? I mean, like because that's that's a lot of pressure to have. I mean, like I, I really do think you probably have the toughest job on that show. I mean, having to come up with original stuff frequently. It's not like you came up with an ending theme and, a, and an opening theme and you're done. I mean, like it's you're constantly doing stuff. I mean, that's gotta be nerve wracking. I love it because uh, I, I cut like coming from the trauma background and also before that doing some uh, stand up or, you know, I tried improv. I used to do sketch comedy, public access TV show, all this stuff. I, I, I was in uh, theater in uh, high school, all that stuff, film school. It's always thinking on your feet and learning. So I like that because um, while I wasn't the greatest improviser back in the day, I, I've slowly come to understand what I can offer and, and sort of just like have uh, uh, bullet points in my mind of things that I, I can offer to a scene or something like that. So uh, and that's, the, that's just the acting part or the music part. It's just like getting to work out these crazy fantasies of genre ideas that I've always had. And um, I love it. I love it. I love uh, improv improvising. It's more, uh, it's just like, and um, this doesn't mean anything against, uh the show itself but set life is really hard i don't like waking up really early and having to work really long hours with a bunch of people and uh and i i, I mean this in general <laughs> i don't mean this about the last drive-in just set being on a set and having to work on sets it's hard work it really is so i like the fact that um you know you shoot for a while and then you don't have to shoot for a while you know what I mean? Like there's a little bit of space in between shooting because if my whole entire year was uh, just being on movie sets, that's really tough. And I know that it sounds like to some people outside of the industry, like, oh, we'll grow up, you know, it's not that hard. Try manual labor. It's still really it's, it's it is hard. It's hard. No, it's hard it's work. Hard. I mean, you're exhausted by the time. I mean, just 
Yeah, you're. I mean, because you're running on adrenaline. It's long yeah. hours. It's emotionally and physically draining. Uh, even the easiest shoots, you leave the easiest shoot day. You walk away being like, I gotta get to bed. It's like, you know, it's it's really it is. It's 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 so um, that part of it. I I I thrive off more of the creative parts and the prep and all that stuff. And then getting to do all the shoots and stuff. It's it's like a whirlwind. It's almost like I close my my mind off and let it all wash over me. And then I sort of step back after it's over and go, wow, that was, we did that. I can't believe we actually did that. That was insane. You know, are so. you, are you t- so like when, when, when you guys are shooting the show, are you typically there all the, every, every yeah, day of it? Yeah. Cause on top of my duties as uh, a composer and uh, you know, doing like the music supervisor, like musical number stuff. I also am a, uh, a quote unquote production manager, but I also do like that. That's just like sort of a blanket title. I pick people up from the airport. I drive, I go shopping for the craft services. I organize the, cra- the, the, uh, catering, all that stuff. I do all that stuff. So I do on top of my musical stuff and sometimes the acting, I do uh, a lot of logistics and you know, that's it's not my favorite, but I do it because I love the show and, uh, it's just what I started doing from the beginning. So why not, why not see it to its bitter end? <laughs> yeah. How, how long, how long, do you, how many seasons do you guys, do you think you guys will get? I mean, do you think it'll make it to 10, 20? I mean, oh see- my God, 10, 20. I mean, that would be amazing. We're on five. So we're already halfway to 10, which is mind blowing to me. Um, I would do it for as long as it happens. I, I really don't, I, I can't foresee not doing the show uh, unless some sort of a crazy opportunity came my way where I had to take it and I couldn't pass it up, but that ain't, that ain't nobody's calling. So. <laughs> the last drive it is and i know but all joking aside i i love working on the show and i could never ever have asked for a better uh situation because i love that I, I would be watching this show if i wasn't working on the show so the fact that i get to work on it is just like a absolute dream isn't that wild though to to, to stop and, and take stock and look at like in the late eighties and, and in the nineties, you're, you're watching Joe Bob on TV and now you're friends with him. You work with him professionally. You're, you're a part of a show. I mean, it's, that's just gotta be like, I, I mean, I look at, I, I can't, the closest thing I can come to that with is like, you know, uh, you know, being friends with honey, um, you know, growing up watching her on TV in the nineties. Now she's one of my best friends. And um, you know, and then the people I've gotten to interview for my podcast, you know, like my favorite film is Dawn of the Dead. And I've got an interview, um, Gene Jeffries and Scott Ryan and Scott Reiniger. And th- those have been, those were such, uh, man, it's, it's just like this, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's just this full circle moment. It's like, wow. I mean, as a kid, I'm watching this movie and I fall in love with it. I never would have ever imagined I would get to talk to these people, you know, outside yeah. of a convention. And now, you know, Gene Jeffries is a friend of mine. Like I, I, I talk with her fairly regularly, you know, and I, I got to spend two hours talking to Scott and got to learn about him. And it's just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so, it's so weird. It's like you, you grow accustomed to it, but there's also this part of it. You never can't quite wrap your head around, you know, does that make sense? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the only reason I was able to perform uh, 
in the moments that I like the first time I ever met Joe Bob, I was rehearsing a song with him. And the only reason I was able to do that was because of all the preparation that I had had in, in the past and all the things that I had tried. And so uh, I would suggest to everybody is to try these things. And even if you think it's a waste of time and oh, it's 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 experience. And later on down the line, that experience might come in handy when you need to meet somebody like, say, Joe Bob Briggs. And uh, you can't be like flustered or anything. You just have to do the job and get it done. So the more uh, times that you can get experience like that, the, the better. And I, I owe it all to just the, the the little things that I did all the way leading up to that, you know? Yeah, it's, al- it's almost like your entire life has been leading up to this moment. You know, like every little thing that in the moment it may have, you may have not seen the gravity of what you were, what it was going to lead to, but it, it really does seem like it's come full circle for you in the show. As you tell your story, it's like, it all really was leading up to the last drive in, you know, it was sure. preparing you for it, man. It's like, this was your destiny, you know? Yeah. The last drive in. I mean, it's like, if I could do this for the next, uh, for, if I could do it for the foreseeable future, it would be a great thing to do. Um, and then hopefully after that, I could branch out and parlay into a, a singular career or Yuki and I can have a, a long and fruitful Patreon uh, experience, but that's just something that, you know, the, the, my real goals later on is to actually uh, shoot a couple of nice uh, horror and comedies. Well, one's horror, one's comedy and like an action comedy. So those are like my two projects that I've been sitting on for many years. And I know once I get in, in a, in a place where I can sort of finagle some funding out of somebody, there will be absolutely interesting projects because I've been working on them for so long and I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. So if anybody out there has a couple of million bucks that you want to give me, I'm ready. But if you don't, you never know. I might make something on my own. I have a couple of bucks sitting on the side, uh, but bad dragon has, has, uh, you know, bad dragon. Yeah. I've, I've heard of him. Yeah. Bad Dragon, the best dildo company in the world. They're funding uh, a, a picture that I'm going to do very soon, and I'll, I'll reveal the title later on. I can't do it right now because I don't want anybody to steal it. But it's it's going to be awesome. It's, it's, so I'll do like this really lo-fi, interesting like uh, feature, and then parlay that into the two bigger projects that I've I've developed. How many how many films have they bankrolled? Do you know? Oh, uh, I, I, they definitely bankrolled part of Shakespeare's Shitstorm, which is, uh, or hashtag Shakespeare's Shitstorm, which is the proper title, which is Lloyd Kaufman's movie that I produced. Uh, and we, we shot it in 2018, and then it premiered at the Fantasia Film Festival in 2020 during the pandemic. And now that we're out of the pandemic, we then premiered in a proper theater in like the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, and we've fil- we've uh, had theatrical showings all over the country. And and in Brazil and overseas, it's been amazing. That that is really amazing. And, and to, uh, I I can't I can't currently imagine what it's like to get to sit in a theater and watch something that you're a part of play on the big screen. I mean, it's got to be such an amazing feeling. It's know? fantastic. I mean, when we were sitting there in the Museum of Moving Image, sold out house, and people were actually uh, reacting to the jokes and laughing, and and uh, you know the action was uh, was really good, and the and the special effects looked good. I, there was no better feeling. Yeah, you t- you were talking that interview I watched with you today on the the Music Is Life podcast. You're talking about like you know you guys did that film with Reds, and you know you're really in love with the cinematography and the way it looked. And yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, John, I, I don't I don't see how the last drive-in cannot have 
positive professional ramifications for you in the future. Like, I, I don't, I don't think it's possible to have been involved with the show and it not open up doors for you in the future. And it has no, it's certain, certain doors. Absolutely. It has. I, I'm just like, I sometimes get self-deprecating when I want to make a joke, but I uh, know that it's, I can't believe the the reaction and the the people that I've met and all this, all the things that I've been able to do because of the last drive-in. Absolutely. And, I, I, I mean, mean I, it's me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. It's, it's, it's just, it's, I, I, you know, I don't want it to seem like I'm ungrateful because I really truly am the most grateful. Oh uh, no, no, not at all. Honestly, yeah. man, like you seem, I was, I was really excited for an interview because I, I love your energy and you seem like a really genuinely nice guy. And in this conversation show me you really are just a genuinely down to earth, nice guy. But you know, what's interesting, man, is the show turns you into a celebrity. You know, like, like people, people, <laughs> I mean, people recognize you on the street. I, I did. I, so this is weird. I mean, this has only happened in the past. Like I would say from last September until now I've got recognized in weird places and it's been very uh, strange to me. So one time, the first time I got recognized was I was walking into a store in Virginia in Richmond, Virginia it was like this oddballs and collectibles or something it's called. And as I'm walking out this, this woman uh, stops and she goes, are you John? And I was like, oh, shit. in my head, I go, oh, shit, what did I do? And, and she, <laughs> she's like, oh, my God, you're on the last drive. And oh, I'm going to tell my boyfriend. I, she like took a picture of us and texted him. And she said, guess who's here? And he's like, holy fuck, is he there right now? So that was like really the first time that I got uh, recognized and I couldn't believe it. I, I was almost more flabbergasted than the person who was meeting me. <laughs> it's like, How cool is, is that though, man? That's yeah, so awesome. It's so cool. And then so even just it happened a few times over the year and then fast forward to uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm with Yuki of all people and we're at a bar in Brooklyn, just, you know, unwinding after a shoot day. And this guy like recognizes us and freaks out. He's like, Oh my God, the last driving. And so he's like buying us drinks and taking pictures. And I, I turned to Yuki. I'm like, you see what I mean now? Like actually have, he couldn't believe it. He didn't, cause he hasn't really been recognized yet, which is to me very strange. Cause he's. Everybody, yeah. Old. I mean like, how, how do you watch show and not know who Yuki is, man? Yeah, <laughs> like, <it's, I> mean, <laughs> you know, so you know it's, it's, it's really cool because I love the fact that, you know, I mean, me and Yuki are like the side side characters with the fact that we're getting recognized. It's really cool. It's, but you guys are such a pivotal part of the show, man. I mean, and Yuki's got such an incredible history as a set designer. The guy's oh. a legend in that industry. He's uh, been doing I, it since the seventies, right? Yes. And he's met so many people. I mean, he worked with John Paul II. He worked with Sonny Chiba. He worked, he, he, he kissed Florence Henderson on the lips or she kissed him. There's a whole story. I mean, I did a whole podcast with him about it. And I like to say that Yuki is the Forrest Gump of production design, but with a much higher IQ. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just because, because of the stories he has. Yeah. Because only... all the people he met and all the times that he's seen. I mean, he literally said he got off the plane from Japan in LA. And in the first 10 minutes he was on the ground in LA, he witnessed a murder. I mean, wow. that's not a normal life. This guy has seen and done some awesome things. So, not that murder is awesome, but it's no, no, like, no. like I mean, awesome. awesome like it's, it, it, yes, the, gra the, the, awesome. the, the gravity of of yes. what he saw. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> you know it, what? What's really cool though, John is is man. Like when all this is said and done, you you right now are part of something historical. You know, like like one day you're going to be doing conventions and 
people are going to look at you like they look at honey and they look at John, like, you know, it's like, Oh, wow. You know, you're, you're part of, you're part of, you know, essentially something that, that's, that's like monster vision, man. Like it's, it's this is going to carry the same weight, if not greater, you know, it, it, I mean, this, this may carry a greater weight. Like, and, and what's really cool too, is it really seems like, I imagine that the, the set culture is really awesome. It seems like the entire group is really tight knit in, in a family. Is that, oh, yeah. is that accurate? Oh, hundred percent. Everybody who works on the last drive-in is a fan of the show and they're really passionate about making a great show because they would want to be watching a great show. So everybody from the, everybody just name a person that's all that works on the show. They absolutely love doing it. So, and I think it shines through in the way that the show uh, is accepted and loved the same way that the, the community gets together and, and tweets along. And a lot of the crew members like tune in and watch it live and tweet along. And it's, it's just like, we're part of the community in a way. Yeah. Uh, you guys really do have something incredible and special. I mean, Darcy's awesome. Like I, I love how interactive she is with the community. Oh yeah. And, she's, and she, she's a great ambassador for the show yeah. and is learned it. She's, she's the real deal. She knows her stuff about movies. She's very opinionated. So some of the stuff that she doesn't like, she doesn't like, but that doesn't matter because it's all about celebrating the whole picture. And she knows that. And that's why she, even, even in the movies, she doesn't necessarily dig. She's still there tweeting along with you. Yeah. yeah. And, and man, the, just the, the chemistry of, of everybody. I mean, and then, you know, Felissa Rose showing up all the time and like, oh, it's yeah. just, you, I mean, like, dude, it, it, you are part of something really amazing. And, and I think that's so cool. And, and nothing will ever take that away from you. You know, like as, as long as you live, man, like you're going to be able to look back on your life and you got to be part of something that's probably really in a way bigger than monster vision ever. Wow. Was. I mean, Thank you and, so much. And, it's yeah. Monster vision, you know, it's, it's, I feel like, the reason we have a leg up is because we are a very uh, interesting show because of the, 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 the social media aspect of it. You know, the show is amazing, obviously, but the fact that every single time uh, a new episode premieres and it trends on Twitter and it gets mm -hmm. other people who don't know necessarily what the last drive in is to look at it. And then other people are introducing their friends all the time. And we're each season, we get a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger is it's a testament to the the love behind all the people on the show including joe bob and darcy and uh i mean like i said i'll keep doing this for as long as i possibly can and i'm sure everybody on the crew would as well what's it what's it like for joe bob um you know because he's he's in his late 60s now and he's he's got this really incredible career to look back on what's it like for him to to do this show but also see the fans and see this, you know, because I've heard him talk about in interviews before, it, you know, it struck him for a while that, you know, he, he, he was meeting these fans and like the vast majority of them are not old enough to be watching monster vision, you know, but they <laughs> did like, they're like, like, what, what is that like for him, man? I mean, that's gotta be incredibly humbling to, to see so many people that love him. And I mean, like to, to this day, you know, 30 years later, 20 years later from, you know, like the love for him is still just as strong. What's that like for him? Well, I can't say exactly because I don't know like the the exact thoughts in his head, but I can tell tell by the way he uh, deals with the fans, and also is basically on tour every damn week. He's got another uh, place he's going here, he's going there, and so I think he's uh, making up for lost time in a way. Not that you know, not that his time away from Monster Vision and the Last Drive-In was lost, so to speak, but lost in the way that Joe Bob Briggs wasn't there. John Bloom was there. So now that Joe Bob is back in town, essentially, 
I, I, you could tell that he, his enthusiasm is, is off the charts because of all the tour dates he does and all the ways that he gives back to the community, inventing Joe Bob's Jamboree. I mean, that's, that's pretty much like supposed to be like a Woodstock for mutants, the mutant fan. And that's what he wants, you know, uh, or, or maybe like a South by Southwest type of deal. And so if he wasn't really feeling or, or, uh, you know, uh, into the Joe Bob, uh, extracurricular stuff, he wouldn't be doing that, but it's all about that right now. And, uh, and it's, it's really a Renaissance, uh, time for Joe Bob, in my opinion, you know, he's, it's super cool. He's doing so many things. I mean, he just was in an ice nine kills music video. Uh, you know, he's, he's doing all sorts of, he's, he teamed up with Agfa to do these amazing double features out of their, uh, you know, their catalog. So uh, he does how Redneck Save Hollywood, you know, he has so many things that he's offering now as far as content. And then on top of it, they've got their Patreon with the the Lost Driving where they put out all the old Monster Vision clips and stuff. So it really is an amazing, the probably the best age uh, that of Joe Bob as far as like in the zeitgeist, you know, it's the most yeah. popular he's ever been. And I'm just glad to witness it. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, you're a part of it, man. I mean, you, you to be you a part of it. Yeah. You're a part of it. Like, <laughs> I still can't believe I'm a part of it. It's, it's, it's yeah. like, it never really happened. And it's, you know, I, honestly, I, like if it all ended tomorrow, I would still be like the happiest ever because just the fact that we got to do those vinyls with the Sergeant Pepper, uh, parody cover and and it's like you know ship to shore release those and the, the artwork by justin osborne the fact that i'm on i, I love the beatles as a kid and the fact that i'm on a parody cover that's pretty much as good as the original cover is just i i, just, it, I still haven't processed it so yeah to, to, for you to t- remind me that i'm a part of it it lets you know where my mind is at that i forget <laughs> Yeah, no, man, I, 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 I love that humility in you, John. I, I really do. And like, I, but I, I like to, I, I just, I, I like to encourage people and, and it, it's, I, I just think it's so cool. And I'm really incredibly happy for you. I just think it's so cool. I don't think there could be a better person in the role than you for what you're doing. And it's, it's just Thank so you. cool to, to, to watch and to get to talk to you and to just got, get to kind of sit back and look at, I mean, like, it's just neat, man. You're part of something so incredible. And they'll, and they'll, there will never be another Joe Bob. There, there won't. I mean, like, no. He he and Darcy were at a um, they were at the Texas Chainsaw House, the, the the original house. And she did she did a post on Instagram, and I watched it, and it was just so Joe Bob Briggs the way he talked about it, and and like it reminded me like there will never be another one of him. There's just something about the way he speaks, the way he presents the facts, the way he it's it's just special, and there it, it'll never happen again. Like he it's it it, it lives and dies with him, you know. Yeah. There's just yeah. something so magical about the guy. It's really incredible. And you, and you get to, and like, man, you're, you're there. You're part, you're a part of this history. The rest of your life, you get to be a part of this history, man. You'll be doing conventions and it's, it's just so cool, dude. And and yeah. I'm so honored to have you on my show to talk to you and to thank hear your you. story and to get you to talk about it. It's great. It's, it's, thank you so much. And and I'll remember your words when I'm in my deepest, darkest depressions and saying, what am I doing with my life? Uh, you know, you, you're, you're really inspiring me to, uh, you know, keep going and do uh, the best work I've ever done. I mean, some, some of the stuff coming up, I feel is some of our best, uh, our best things. This, this, the, the lineup for this season is unreal. I can't even give you any hints because, you know, I, I can't because it's yeah. we ruined the surprise, but I'm telling you this season is it's going to be the best one in my opinion, only because of all the movies that we're, we're showing, it's like banger after banger. And I, I there's a couple it, of music numbers coming, musical numbers coming up that uh, 
you know, not to spoil anything, but we're doing a couple more musical numbers this season and they're going to be pretty fucking special. What is the, and you probably can't, I, I probably shouldn't be asked this question. I'm going to in any way, like, but, 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 you know, as, as we get older, you know, we become planners and we think about the future, you know, there's no telling how long last drive in will last, but where do you see yourself after the last drive in? What does the future hold for you? You think post last drive in? Oh Lord, either go back to be a janitor if I'm not very lucky or, Hopefully I could, you know, use the, a, a little bit of uh, the momentum that I've gotten from the last driving to get my own stuff going as far as either, you know, uh, directing or making some more music and things like that. So I just, I, I in all honesty, I don't want to be, I mean, I, not that I don't want to be rich. I, of course I want to be rich, but I don't need to be rich. If I could make like a, a decent salary uh, and just do these sorts of little things that are really fun to do. That's that's all I need. I mean, essentially, if I could be like paid like a teacher for the rest of my life, which is is a great salary, and and also you get summers off. That's a, that's what I'm looking for. So that you know, hopefully, the last drive-in can let me do that for the next foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely, man. Where where can people find you if they if they want to find you on social media? Um, at Bad Techno, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, uh, and I also have an old website badtechno.com which has portals to my old stuff but also you know twitter and things like that uh i just like to leave that up there because i say whatever you know i did all these weird things in the past i left them on the internet they're fun to revisit sometimes and see uh the evolution of john brennan it would be cool if you just dropped like an angel fire site you remember angel fire back in the 90s so the one i did have an amazing amazing yes it was like that back in the day and then uh later on i updated this website i I think it was like 2010 or 11 uh but i left i want to leave this version of it up for up for as long as i can because i just like the way it looks it's very old school and very simple but fun if you get on there's a um the Wayback Machine on uh, the Internet Archive. Have you ever yeah. used that? You can probably yes. find your old site there, man. I found one or two pages at one point. I did. Uh, it's still. It might be still be there, uh, but the whole site wasn't there. I can only find maybe uh, this one landing page or whatever. The old Monster Vision site's still there. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, you, you, you can totally go check that out tonight. Hell yeah. Yeah, that'll be hours of fun. The Monster Vision. I wonder if the uh, I wonder if they had like discussion boards and stuff that is still archived. Uh, you know, I need to explore a little bit more, man. But like it, it, when I was watching those clips on YouTube, he kept you know he kept dropping the link, and, and I was like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go the Wayback Machine. It's still there. It's still out there in the way you know the it's it's archived, but it's it's still there in sort of a it's it's not perfect, but it but it still it still exists. Awesome. It's really incredible, but John. Listen, man, you are awesome. Like you've got a fan right here. I, I I am so grateful you came on my show. I was really looking forward to it, and this this has been a fantastic conversation. I think I think the world of you, brother, and and I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun, and it was good. To, I love the 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 crazy uh, meandering things that we did. We went into ghosts. We went into food. We went into career. We went into everything. So this was a really cool uh, eclectic uh, talk. I'm glad to hear that, man. I actually got a little worried. It kept going all over the place, you know, but, but I, I, I love that. That that's great dude. Cause I mean, what, what I like about it though, is that it just gave people my goal with this show is for people to know a little bit more about who you are as a person. Well, I think that they know that I'm a, a self-deprecating uh, ghost loving burrito loving uh, music making <laughs> weirdo who lives in a story of Queens 
and hopes to have a career beyond just the end of the last drive-in. <laughs> Maybe that sums it all up, you know? <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Well, dude, I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And don't forget, I, I kept talking after you. Oh, I'll uh, definitely append it, man. I'll definitely yeah, append you, it for you, sure. I was sitting there by myself talking about burritos and pizza. Hey everybody, Brian here. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I had an absolute blast making it and I'm so glad each of you could join me. I do want to take a quick moment to remind each and every one of you that you're awesome, that you're loved, and that you matter. And I'm so glad each and every one of you are here. So until next time, stay tuned, stay curious, and as George Romero used to always say, stay scared.